From Hong Kong, Chicago and the city of Stoke-on-Trent, this is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 76. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello Johnny. Good morning all. And hello Perry. Good evening. And it's afternoon here in Stoke-on-Trent at the moment, so spanning the globe again. Um, let's go straight to Perry. Perhaps you might want to give us a bit of an update on what you've been up to this week. Uh, yeah, not a ton. I, uh, After being shamed for not using cheap lenses, I caved into the pressure and uh, took out that Pentacon that's been sitting in my closet for like 15, uh, 12 years. The Pentacon 51.8 M42 mount. And uh, I put it on my Sony, and I went outside to shoot. And as soon as I opened the door, uh, the skies opened up, and a giant thunderstorm uh, started. So, you know, if ever there were a sign from the heavens that you should not be shooting this lens, uh, that was that was it. Yeah. <laughs> so, was it was there some kind of protest, and then it rained, and therefore you didn't go and join it again? Uh, no, the protest was the universe protesting against my sticking this pentagon on my phone. <laughs> um, but I did use it. I went over and uh, shot some indoor bokeh shots of random crap around the house. Um, Are you sure they were? you were open all the way, Perry? I mean, because it's got to be open all the way or it doesn't count. No, no, no. The, the bokeh is hexagonal. Uh, okay. You know, it's, it's not called the hexagon. But uh, and then Ricardo gave me a hard Ricardo Bion gave me a hard time for not shooting bokeh shots wide open. He was like, "Hey, who shoots bokeh top down? I'm like, who shoots everything wide open?" <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. But uh, <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, I, I'm not going to rant about shooting wide open, but not necessary. But hey, I posted three pictures. I shot with a Pentacon. I took it off right afterwards put a better lens on and life is better now so after that i uh i felt the need to kind of i don't know like cleanse myself no i shouldn't say that it's 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 a cute little lens but i went out shooting with the x-pan today and and so i'm in a good mood <laughs> outstanding so have, have you got yourself an x-pan yet johnny because oh, we were talking about this earlier we think that you'd really like one you know you know, I have I have three Minolta X Pans myself, so three is better than one. Um, sorry, I need to ask this question. Not not about the X Pan. Why is it that when it comes to shooting pictures with bokeh, it's like you have got to shoot it wide open? Who who? Why? Why is that? Why is that another thing? thing. <laughs> so is it is this the rant you weren't going to do? I was just going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Because, yeah, okay. Be, okay, it's okay on a Sony, right? Because, like, you know, when you're shooting on, like, a film SLR, you can't even see the proper bokeh because your your focus screen doesn't look right. Oh, my God, I, I'm not going to... Don't let me do this rant. No, go 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 for it. Come on. Let's, do it, Barry. Let, let, let it happen. Okay, okay. Just let it fly. Let it rip. I'm taking a picture of, like, a random stuffed animal, right, with some, <laughs> I don't know. What do There's you a phrase it? that I say to myself every day. Taking this picture... Yeah. <laughs> and there's lights in the background so right so it's like hey here's some bokeh it looks kind of cool but i'm like you know what i, I kind of want this stuffed animal's eyes to be sharp right i want my subject to be in focus and of slightly higher quality than the worst possible quality with my lens so i stopped the aperture down to f2 right or f2.8 that seems like the right thing to do because as hamish gill always likes to say the bokeh is the part you're not supposed to look at right 
Yeah, it's it's the accompaniment accompaniment to the to the shot rather than the reason for the shot in the first place. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I, I think well that's that's actually one of those one of the reasons why people value uh, preset lenses so much. Uh, when you've when people go nuts so oh it's got 14 15 16 21 blades um, because that would allow you to actually stop it down enough and you would still get those those nice round bokeables that is very true and, and there I are thought, I thought that was because people thought that you know lenses shot wide open with more blades were better <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i mean that, i mean and that that is the nonsense isn't it yeah because many many bokeh fans will uh, value something like the uh, the pentacon uh 135 millimeter 2.8 the Meyer optic version with 15 blades and then never ever yeah, ever close sure, it down. <laughs> yeah and and that always goes for twice or three times the, the price of the one that the automatic version with eight well six six blades which you can just shoot in exactly the same way and I'm, I'm not sure if it's actually the same lens it might be exactly the same optics quite quite possibly so yeah you know, the same, i mean the same goes doesn't it with the uh the triplan oh yeah yeah the triplan one that's shit yeah yeah no, nobody wants a triplan it goes for hundreds of dollars less than the than the one yeah. with multiple blades yeah you only ever shoot the thing wide open or it seems that most people only ever shoot it wide open and you cannot tell the difference yeah i mean i, I mean I, that's, that's all yeah it's also a good advert for those uh cyclop lenses as well you know where the say the 85 1.5 again I mean, I've got I've got a Helios forty, which is ultimately the same lens, but with a with an iris. But when I whenever I shoot that, I, I, I tend to be shooting it wide open. I mean, that's always with with with, with fast lenses in this this uh, world that we inhabit now with digital cameras. It it, it seems that they you know, that that is almost like the point of having a fast lens is to shoot it wide open. I mean, most people don't walk around with a heavy one point two. 50 millimeter lens unless the intend to actually shoot it at 1.2 because otherwise what what's the point of carrying that weight otherwise yeah i've got an iris wait wait no 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 i, I disagree um because i i think that extra speed is there if you need it right so i, I think this is this is partly a difference in mentality between maybe people who shoot rangefinders versus like slr style cameras or mirrorless but like my default is f8 and then if i need yeah. more light or if for some bizarre reason in, in actual shooting i want to you know uh shallower depth of field then then i'm going to open up the aperture deliberately right whereas i think uh it's the other way around for a lot of other people where you start wide open by default and then stop down yeah. only yeah. if necessary um but but I, I mean that's totally legitimate. If you're shooting portraits and stuff, you know there's a strong case for a shallower depth of field. But I think if you're if you're trying to shoot a scene where you pretty much want as much in focus as possible, um, having having the faster aperture is just you know if you go indoors or you're shooting film at night, uh, and you need 1.4, you need f 1.2. It's it's really nice to have. You know, a, Robbie J told me a really good story this week at the shop about about I think it was his um, I think I want to say it was his wife and his and his daughter or something like that. 
had these pictures taken and they were in like uh like a state park or something with this beautiful background mountains blah blah in the background and they they had someone pay to take portraits of them and they shot them all wide open at like an 85 millimeter at f1.8 so there's just mush in the background <laughs> so the whole point of being in this like going to this place and having this beautiful background was just it could have been in your like just stand in front of one of those printed backdrops i mean you could just you know yeah. Like you're in a photo studio. It wouldn't matter because it's all just nothing because it's just wide open. <laughs> well, yeah. I've, I've, I've said it, I've said it before and I, I, I still believe it, it to be the case that, that, that super fast lenses on SLR cameras. I'm not talking, certainly not talking about range finders now. The main point of having those was to enable you to get your focus point more easily. Yes. Because it's allowing yeah. more light through, it means that your split yeah. screen is going right to be more effectively. Right, yeah, so absolutely. It's easier to get the focus, and then and then you would stop down and get the shot how how you would want it. And most people back in the day weren't shooting portrait shots at one point two. They were they would stop them down to a sensible amount so you can actually get more than one eye in focus and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. And and for all practical purposes, there are so few situations where you need where you need faster than f1.4 you know yeah. like light doesn't change right um so you know f2 is good enough for pretty much all situations uh except for like those really low light situations where 1.4 is necessary but unless you're like chasing bigfoot in a forest <laughs> um f1.2 is just showing <laughs> off at that point right yeah but there is a there is a different case though with with uh, range fast, yeah, very fast rangefinder lenses, and and that's because the lenses themselves are that much smaller to start off with. I mean, a, a fast uh, rangefinder lens is 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 going to be lighter than the equivalent SLR lens uh, by by oh, yeah. design. So you don't have. We say I was complaining about the fact that you know, you've got this big you've got this big lens and why carry a big lens when you can carry a smaller lens and when you never really need to be shooting at at one point two for instance. Whereas you know you haven't really got as much of an issue doing that with a with a with a rangefinder lens and a rangefinder camera. Um, so you you can that extra bit of weight that you're actually having over another lens. Well, you're not. It still isn't actually in relative terms that heavy. So, well, why not have the extra flexibility, which is sort of what you're you're saying, I think. Uh, uh, to yeah, John. To uh, that, was, to that was to Perry. That was to Perry. That was. I, yeah, that was to Perry. That's what I want to jump. Yeah. I, well, I get. I guess. Yeah. I don't think that was the point I was trying to make, but I, that does make sense. I mean, like. Uh, Canon 51.2 LTM is no bigger than a 51.4 SLR lens. Right. But I, but I wouldn't want to use that. I wouldn't want to carry that lens every day. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, it's big and, and on the, on a rangefinder, it's going to, it's going to at least partially block the viewfinder. It's just too much. It's, it's unnecessary. It's superfluous. Yeah. And it, it, it unbalances the camera, right? Right. Part of the point of carrying a rangefinder is your body is pretty small. So right. when you put a lens on that might be small by, you know, SLR standards, it's still going to, you know, make your rangefinder quite front heavy yeah. um, and block yeah. the viewfinder, as Johnny says. So it's, it's yeah, I, I would only put one of those on my camera um, if, if I knew that I was 
likely to need the speed or if I wanted the special look yeah. that, that lens uh, gives. Right. Oh, but well, maybe, that... you know, Simon, you're right. Everyone, everyone needs a Noctilux because they're small. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've got a, a, a seven artisans, uh, 51.1 uh, supplied by Hamish Gill of uh, 35 MMC shop shop. Uh, he's not paying me to say that, but there you go. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a re- it's a really nice lens. And uh, I'm, and oh, there's a bit of a lead in there to what I've been up to this week. So I'm I'm, I'm going to uh, I'm not going to talk about that that lens until uh, we get onto get onto what I've been up to this week. So uh, yeah, okay. yeah, we'll uh, I'll park that conversation there. Um, Perry, is there, is there anything else you've been up, up to this week? Uh, nope, not really. Okay, well let's let's head over to Chicago then. And uh, how about you, Johnny? Well, other than starting my week off immediately after the last podcast with shooting not ten, not twelve, but I think like seventeen pictures with the Prima Plan fifty eight one point nine on my Fuji digital, almost all of them at or near wide open. I've been up to nothing really. <laughs> well. <laughs> Well, I was going to say we, we've slightly jumped ahead of what we were going to do, what we we're going to talk about there, but I, th- I think we should. Yeah, I had to come up with something to make it sound like I did anything. Well, this you week, did, so. you did, and, and it's it's pretty remarkable work. And I think we should let's go straight into it um, because um, yeah, we've 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 got these challenges uh, which we're going to talk about a little bit more about uh, the one for me and the one for Perry. But uh, let's let's dive. Seeing that Johnny has done nothing else this week, let's let's talk about that for for Johnny. Um, <laughs> And that was that uh, we've made you or shamed you into going out with your Primer Plan and your Fuji, and uh, and you you posted the results. I think I think the yeah I think you actually posted it before last week's podcast actually went live, which was really yeah. confusing for people. I think. Yeah, yeah, I yeah I actually went out immediately after the podcast since we needed some images for the podcast cover work cover artwork. Um, I went out immediately and shot those images before before the podcast was ever even posted so i i got that out of the way it was it was a it was a beautiful day um and uh and and you know what it did make me realize something <clears throat> about uh should we, shall we call it oofta photography when i was doing that uh, bit of work last week it made me realize that i actually really kind of enjoy uh shooting that way but not for the images. <laughs> yeah. I, I had around. I, yeah. I had a great time walking around. It was sunny and looking at flowers and looking at bugs and getting real close to them. And, you know, Squirrels. I could, I could smell the milkweed and I it was, you know, it was really, it was a nice experience. And I, I enjoyed that experience far more than I enjoyed the resulting photographs. So, um, for that reason alone, it was a very worthy use of my time because um, I, I got out and I got to just spend some time in my beautiful Chicago alley with nature. So, well, it was. I've I've, I've got to say, I, I I think your your time of being one with nature was well spent. Um, <laughs> Thank you very much, Simon. It, it, it was, and I mean, you can see <laughs> see that on the the comments that you got you got there as well. But your shots are great. I mean, what, you know, you've you've been dissing this lens for however long now, and <laughs> and these shots are great. 
I mean, there's, 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 there's nothing to complain about. Yeah, they've got character, they're interesting, and it, odd things are going on, but the odd things that are going on are looking good. The, you know, you've, you've got subjects in there, your, your boker's not, uh, in most cases at least, uh, dis, dis, distracting from, from, well, from the scene. Only because the Fuji helped me crop away all the garbage that would have been there if it was on a full-frame camera, so there's that. Wait, but you oh. kept saying last week that the lens sucks on the Fuji. <laughs> yeah. Well, it doesn't, though, does it? That's a subjective statement, though, isn't it? That's a very subjective statement. I don't know. I mean... Yeah. No, I, it was it was it was it was nice. It performed really well. I, I so I have two of these lenses, and this one that I shot, I got it. I have it. It's still attached to my Fuji, so I can talk about it. Um, this one that I got, I got both of my Prima plans for like pennies on the dollar. Um, as a matter of fact, I got them at Central Camera Company um, it, because they were attached to uh, nasty old. Uh, I try to remember what they were attached to, but they were attached to just junk, junked cameras. Um, and both of them were kind of a mess. And this one, this lens right here that, that, are, that I took these images with, um, it had fungus. It had all kinds of crap in there. It's got coating damage <clears throat> inside. So some of the coating is missing like in the, uh, the center optical area. Uh, but the lens is clean and I had it overhauled. So it's really smooth and it works great, but it is a very much a compromised uh, lens. Um, so the, those images are shot with with this lens. I have another one that's the older version. There's like a fatter version and a, a, a slimmer kind of version of the Prima Plan 58. Um, but this was shot with a fatter one. Um, so, no, I mean, I it actually, it, considering that, and I did, of course, have a, a big old hood lens hood on it. But considering all that, I think it performs really well. Um, it's it's really it's not too bad. I, you know what? All right, here, here's part of what I have against the Prima Plan um, is that I, the 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 last time I used it, it's when I was briefly flirting with using a uh, focal reducer, um, and th this lens with a focal reducer on the Fuji was just complete garbage. Like nothing was in focus because. It's got a really weird optical design, as we know. Designers on crack, right? Um, so it has a really weird optical design. And you pair that with a focal reducer. And a focal reducer just does not play nicely with this lens. So, you know, number one, I, I'm not a fan of focal reducers. Number two, this lens has a crazy design. And you you match all that up together. And my 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 experience with those two things was less than pleasing. So this was a far more pleasing experience shooting it this time around. So do you think you might go out with your Fuji? Oops, excuse me. There's a bit of uh, the stranglers going on now. Just... Phone's ringing, dude. Yeah. That's it. Stranglers are really going to kick in now. There we go. Um... <laughs> Uh, no. Oh, yeah. So, oh, oh no. I've just remembered what, what quest, the question I've asked you now. So, I'm, I'm going to ask you again, just just in case yeah, you didn't hear that question uh, correctly. Are you going to go out shooting with your Fuji again? <laughs> Probably next year. You had you had an enjoyable experience out there. You, know, you, I, you were, I did, and next time I'm going to do it with my TLR instead. Oh. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the experience had very little to do with the lens, right? Like he could have gone to fishing. Yeah, that's, the same. That's, that's kind yeah. of my point. <laughs> no, I, I actually I fundamentally disagree with that. I think the lens has has a huge amount to do with uh, enjoying your experience. And- no, you're, I, I'm I'm just being a wise yeah. guy. It no, it was very nice because, like I said, I was I was really close to I. So I was using the. Um, so I again back to my Fuji. I, I had the lens mounted on a helicoid on an original Pentax, the old school variable close focus ring. So I, I was I was really right close up on stuff to get really really super shallow depth of field, super close to the subject. Um, and so I was like right on top of the stuff I was shooting. No, and it was really a nice experience to just be doing that, but. Yeah, would I have gotten? Would I have had the same experience with a different camera? Maybe not. Maybe not. I mean, it, you know, it's it, and shooting on the Fuji. I, I I have always said this that the the best focusing experience I've ever had on any camera of any type is is using the Fuji because the EVF is great and it's yeah. really easy to get critical focus. I mean, like like ridiculously easy. So. I have no complaints about the way that Fuji performs in that matter. I mean, I wish focusing on everything was that easy. Um, They're so good. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. So and I so I have no I mean, complaints there whatsoever. I mean, I can nail focus every like ninety five percent of the shots with no with no problem. So it's really it was a great experience from that standpoint. And totally instant gratification. I walk right back inside and got the pictures done and you know the whole thing took me an hour so it was great from that standpoint you know but it's just i wouldn't want to do that it it's not (laughs) it was great to be able to do that but it's not the way i would want to do it most of the time if that makes sense it's not usually what um, i'm doing can you can you do it again but uh Try to get some swirly primaplan bokeh with like foliage in the distance, but do it stop down. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? In that case, I ought to just take out. I have other lenses that will swirl way more than this thing will. I, I mean, I could, I could try. I'm sure I could get some shots like that. Yeah. Actually, didn't didn't you? You mentioned last week you were going to take some shots with that. Uh, was it a Taylor Taylor Hobson lens? Oh, I I did actually. I did, yeah. Um, so, and actually, the cover for the last podcast has uh, is a is a shot with the Hobson. Ah, right. I didn't. I didn't. For some reason, I thought that was with the with the with the Primer Plan, and, uh, and no, that because I was looking, that, I was looking yeah. for that that shot. So I, I didn't put two and two together there. Okay. Yeah, that that's that that shot is with the crazy uh, Hobson, the the uh, Kodak um, Ectacolor, You know, the original you know, the coat of color process that, that photo is from that. So actually I have more of those photos. I could, I could post, I'll post some of those up as well. If you, if people really want to see some swirls, I'll post those. Yeah. Is that from last week? Yeah. Oh, so it wasn't one of the old ones from like years ago. No, that I went out and shot those at the same time I shot the, uh, Prima plan. Oh, cool. No, I, I assumed it was old. 
Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a pretty remarkable shot, and it's worth talking about in itself. Because it, it looked apart from like the incredible swirl and field curvature and all all sorts of things going on there. It looks like you know, the the light that that's going in there is is being split up into its constituent parts around the yeah. edges as well. Yeah, well, it, well, it has because the um, I should you know what I I'll just post a photo of the lens itself because it has a that tricolor filter in front of the the lens so it's it you know it it's 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 a lenticular process so it, it's it's striping the image you know red green blue essentially um going into the camera and then you would project it with the same filter and that's where the color comes from so it's, it doesn't work like the old black and white tellies where you would get a piece of plastic and put a green bit at the bottom and the blue bit at the top on, on for your television um it's sort of in a way yeah actually uh because it it's except it's doing with doing it with three colors it's doing it with the you know the three colors that make up the way we see color in a um projected you know uh process like that so no it it looks exactly like that i mean it's literally a, a red green blue a three a divided into you know three parts filter in front of the lens <laughs> so that's why it looks so crazy when you see it um a straight photo with it. it that's why it looks so strange and if you look at it closely yeah you absolutely see the weird kind of like uh split spectrum color thing going on well, I'll, I'll post some pictures of the lens it's hard to describe it's much easier if you actually see the yeah. the lens itself well i've got to say well well yeah. done anyway because you've you've well you've thank you very the challenge much there. Yeah. thank you very much and how those tesla shots go simon well, let's yeah. let's 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 talk about those in a minute. Um, um, let's uh, because I've I've been up to a couple of things this week, and then we'll we'll segue into that eventually. I'm sh I'm sure yeah, we will right. because it may actually form a large part of the show. Uh, and what have I, what have been up to this week? Um, not not a huge amount. Um, although I was out yesterday. No, 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 no. Telling lies on Wednesday. No, Friday. Yeah, like this really matters for a podcast, which day it was I did these things. Let me, uh, let me try to remember which day it was that I didn't shoot my test hour. Oh, wait, it was every day. Yeah, yeah it, it was. Although I, I, I did I did some test hour shooting on, on Friday um, because I went out with my baby Rolly, which has got a 60 millimeter test hour in, which obviously ah, doesn't good. count. Um, exactly. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, so I, I went out and I finished a roll. Uh, the the roll of film was on that. I think I took about four four shots. So I wasn't actually sure how many shots uh, I would get out of a roll. But it turns out it's twelve, uh, just in the same way as for a roll of flex, you would get twelve shots or or a six by six on a Hasselblad um, or whatever. Um, so so that that's done, and hopefully I'll get those uh, images processed images uh, that the film processed uh, tomorrow at the six times darkroom along with my final my completed role in my Leica, my m2 it's Whoa. Yay. yeah it was uh, the, while i was out the bell started ringing as, as i couldn't wind it on any further um and the, <laughs> the, the, the final the final shot that i took with it uh, was actually the only shot I took with it because it, it yeah, the, I wasn't sure if I'd actually set the um, uh, the the what do you call it that uh, tells you how many shots you've taken uh, the counter uh, the, the frame counter, counter yeah because on the on the M two it's got a it's got a uh, a cheapened 
uh, frame counter. So you have to manually set it when you when you actually put the film in the in the camera. Whereas the you know, things like the M2 and the uh, um, and others from there, it's it's an automatic process. So it, it just does it for you. But uh, so if you don't set it correctly in the first point, then you you not you can't really trust the information that it's given you. And because it was so long. Um, I couldn't. I couldn't remember if I did it right or not. Uh, so, uh, but it turns out I actually did it right first time, which I'm quite pleased about. Um, so I went and I thought, well, I'll just take a photograph, and I just took a photograph of some stone steps, and uh, and then it wouldn't wind on. <laughs> so, I've, I, I, yeah, that one that one frame has has been waiting to be taken for about four months. Um, so, but, but there you go. Um, so yeah, so that that's done. And again, I'm going to get that uh, process tomorrow. I think. Um, actually, that's the point. While well, I've got the two two of you, I, I, the the role that I'm talking about is Fuji 400 CN. So, yeah. which is designed for C41. Uh, so it's yeah. like uh, XP2 or whatever number they're on on these days with that one. Um, but you can develop it in conventional um, black and white chemistry as well. I believe um, I've seen people doing it, but it's it's my question is really is would I be better just taking it to the mini lab and get it done at, at C41 or do yeah. it in Rodinol or D76 or uh, ID11 or any, any one of those things, which I could just do tomorrow at the, uh, at the dark room. I would drop it off. I would, yeah, I would take it to the lab. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. I mean, it's stupid enough anyway, so I can get it done for three quid. So, uh, yeah. And then do this and then scan it myself. So, uh, okay. I might just do that and drop it in tomorrow. Um, hey Simon, what did you what did you actually uh, shoot with the Roly? Uh, street. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stoke. Um, no, <laughs> I, I know. I, I I I ventured away. Um, I was out with a friend, and uh, and we were <laughs> trying to set up some shots. Uh, it was it was much it was as much a reconnaissance trip as I I wanted to get some. Uh, I plan on doing some shots with large format of some farm buildings and, and things like that in the countryside. Uh, and the friend of mine says, yeah, I quite fancy coming along with that. He, he's not a, a film shooter, uh, but, you know, he thought, well, the subject matter was of interest. So we thought, well, we'll go along together and see if we spot something, which ultimately we didn't. But we we ended up uh, in a town called Macclesfield, which is quite a nice place. And uh, we we were there for about an hour, and uh, yeah, I got a I got a few shots off, and enough to uh, finish the role. I don't think any, don't think they're particularly spectacular, uh, but I don't think that's that's the point really. I mean, one of the main things is I just wanted to finish my first role in that camera, just to make sure the thing works as much as anything. Mm -hmm. So, uh, fingers crossed. In fact, that, that, I'm actually I'm in I'm going to be debating with myself whether or not I'm actually going to keep that camera or not because. I think the reason why I want that camera is because it's just lovely, but the but I've already got a roll cord, and it's it's easier to deal with with one twenty film than it is to deal with one two seven film, and there's you know plenty of advantage you know, there's more advantages overall with with uh, one twenty and the camera is not that much bigger uh, my roll cord compared to the Rolly Flex it doesn't look anywhere near as sexy, um, and I'm I'm just wondering what the benefits will be of actually keeping that. Rolly, rolly flex over the rolly cord. I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that. With the one twenty-seven, yeah. Uh, I mean, none really, other than the you know, if you just they're cute, 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sexiness factor. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. And it is. It's lovely. It's I mean, you can see, gorgeous. You send it to me if you don't want it. I, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> I got a whole freezer full of 127 film. I'll shoot the hell out of it, Simon. Yeah. Actually, that's a point. Um, Ian Fleming offered me some as well the other day as well. So that's going to make... Oh, dear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see what the pictures come back like. Yeah, and if, yeah. if, if, they, if, there's, something, if there's something special about that format uh, versus 120, then why, then why not? But... Uh, We'll see, but it's just it's just lovely and it's just lovely to use. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a sweet little thing. So yeah, so um, so that's that's oh, and one more thing, I did did do some shooting yesterday. It's not truly classic lenses stuff, really, because but it was uh, I took out my Horizon two hundred two for the first time, uh, which is a panoramic uh, Soviet panoramic camera. Uh, one of the later ones was they were used to make them in metal and this was this is a plastic one but you know unlike many of the plastic zenits and things like that which, which look hideous in my opinion um this actually yeah. still looks like a, a you know it's a it's a nice modernish looking reasonably well-made camera um yeah. so so it took some panos and uh I'll, I'll actually i don't actually know how many how many shots I'm going to get out of that one? But uh, with the 36 roll. But anyway, we'll uh, I'll I'll do something with that. Did, so. did it did it seem to be feeding nicely and functioning well? Yeah, uh, it, nice. it, it, it it did. Uh, loading it was fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I think this is actually the reason why I didn't take it on holiday to Madeira because I thought to myself, oh, I'll just. I think literally on the just before going to the airport, I thought, oh, I'll just stick a roll in that two hundred two and I'll take it with me, and then I opened it up and thought, oh, <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah, that's not normal. Um, wow, yeah. And, uh, so the 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 roll sort of goes around in different directions and bends back on itself, and when it actually on the take up spool, it takes it up backwards, uh, the yeah the opposite the opposite way around, so emulsion side out. Uh, which is something uh, you're not really used to, but but actually putting the the film and attaching it to the take up spool, you've got to be really careful to do that because you've got to get that tight. Otherwise, if if it's not tight, it's going to interfere with the the the, the winding sprocket, if that's if that's the correct term, that actually pulls the um, the or, or guides at least the uh, the the film around um, because it, it would then be perfectly placed to start ripping into another piece of film that's going in the opposite direction <laughs> um, so uh yeah that, that's that's a bit tricky and if i hadn't spotted the potential of what was going to go on there then i just would have wrecked uh, wrecked the film very very quickly or at least i wouldn't have uh, wasted too much film but it would have gone wrong within the first three shots probably yeah I think wow. I think it's worth just quickly explaining to any listeners who have no idea what we're talking about what what, what this camera <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> does, because um, it's it's a panoramic camera, but it's not like an X pan where it's just like normal. Uh, the the lens does this like sweeping motion, right? Yeah, um, mm -hmm. and it, it moves in a curved motion to take the picture, and then when you load the film at the back, it's also a curved film back. Uh, so you have to kind of like bend the film when you're loading it instead of loading it straight. So it's it's very strange. Yeah. So the the other thing about it is it it doesn't have a you can't focus the lens, uh, but it's a and it's a twenty it's what it's a twenty eight millimeter two point eight. So it will have a minimum focus, uh, although 
you know, 28 millimeters is still uh, your depth of field is, is going to be pretty significant. So as long as you're not going to be too far away, too close to something, the chances are you're going to be able to get most things in focus. But what I also realized that I, I decided to put some 400 film because it was quite dull um, to, to go where I was going. And then when I got out, it brightened up a little bit. And then I realized, oh dear, I've got problems now because it's the, when the sun did come out, I was immediately at F16 because the uh, fastest shutter speed on there was 250th of a second. So a little bit of planning uh, or thought going into what film I was going to use would have would have done me some good there because you know, 100 or even uh, 50 uh, film would have been more appropriate for, uh, for for my shooting because I hate actually going down all the way to F16 because of you know, potential diffraction. Although I suppose it's questionable whether really that's that much of an issue on film. I don't know what you you guys think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I don't usually shoot down the stop down that far, but I mean, I don't know. It can work in certain situations too. Yeah, well, it was, well, for me, it was I, I had no choice uh, because you know. I think he actually wanted me to be shooting at, um, say, at F11. I would need to be shooting somewhere, you know, about 750th of a second or something like that. Right. Yeah, so it was. I just had to go to F16 and shoot at the fastest speed, which was 250, and that was it. Yeah, that was my choice. I, I, I don't think with that lens um, being diffraction limited is going to be a big problem. No. 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 And, and not with 400 film either, for that matter. Uh, yeah. And, oh... That's 400 film that that expired in 2002. <laughs> do, you think, do you think that was not, that's that's the least of my worries? Maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. Of, you know, things that might degrade your image quality in that. Yeah. So, so Simon, you you have shot. Let me get it straight. You've shot street photography this week. You've shot with a Leica this week, and you've shot. Panos? Yeah. And I didn't think I'd done anything. <laughs> exactly. You see, so you did everything, everything possible to all do everything you could. Except for. Ah. I know, I know where this is going. <laughs> yeah, where are the Tessar shots at? Well, yeah. let's come back to that one. Um, <laughs> because I think I think what we what we need to do before we talk about that one, because again, if we talk about Tessos, it will take us somewhere um, else, and I don't want to go there just yet. Um, so let let's do um, Perry and a bit of an update on uh, the cheap lenses for Perry uh, challenge, because we we had that oh, yeah. um, poll uh, last week, and I just want to I think I've just lost it now. I had it on my page earlier. Um, but anyway, I'll, I'll try and remember what the results are. Uh, but we uh, narrowed last week's show. We narrowed down the three lenses uh, for Perry that he's going to, uh, which one of which is we, we're going to buy for Perry to use, and then ultimately give it away um, after he's liked it. Um, and the options that we gave were the Myroptic Domiplan, the Yashica Yashinon 50F2, and the Konica Hexar, uh, sorry, Hexanon AR uh, 40 1.8. You know what? I just feel like I need to say something there. Because I just said Hexar as opposed to Hexanon. And just one of those things about that's just going around in my head that uh, Hexar, because you can get Konica Hexars as well as Hexanons. Yes. I'm pretty sure that the Hexars are their budget range and not necessarily even made by Konica. I don't know if uh, you guys have ever heard that one. 
I don't know. I, I associate the Hexar with the AF and the RF. Right. Yeah. That's what I was going to say, too. Which are definitely not budget. No, no, that's it. Well, I'm talking specifically about um You mean the SLRs. lenses with Hexar written on them? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I may or may not be wrong. It'll be interesting if uh, anyone can pass comments on that. But I'm pretty sure that the SLR lenses that say Hexar are of a lower specification than the ones that say Hexanon. Um, certainly the... Could the, be, yeah. Yeah, the 35 3.5... Hexar that I had once was truly awful. <laughs> so um, certainly I've had the Hexanon, uh, although that was a 2.8, and that was a stunning lens. I mean, it's it's a, I, I'm pretty sure it's the equal of a, of a Flectagon. But uh, yeah, the, mm. the Hexar, less less impressed, and uh, I, I don't think it's uh, as good. But anyway, uh, putting that to one side, um, the, uh, the third lens, as I've just mentioned, there's the Konica um, 40mm f1.8, and the results were, which I haven't got in front of me, but I think it was like three percent for the uh, for the Domi plan or Domi plan, um, and then was it like about sixteen percent for the Yashinon, or was it a bit more than that? None uh, of us have got this up. Have we? I don't know what percent. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll just make another percentage up there for the uh, for the for the for the winner um, was the Konica Hexanon, uh, which had uh, much more than the other two. Um, it was easily the uh, an easy winner. Um, so um, Perry, at some point when I can actually find one at the right price, because since we last spoke, uh, I've now realised that these lenses are not that cheap anymore. <laughs> I don't know if it's yeah. going to do with that show or not. I don't know, but uh, that's what I—that's what I did mention last time. That in Hong Kong they're actually not very cheap uh, on the used market. But I, I did pull up the poll, by the way. Um, it uh, was uh, six votes for the Doma Plan, um, nineteen votes for the Yashinon, and thirty-six votes for the Hexanon. There you go. So pretty, pretty resounding um, win there for the for the Conocrin as we were. We were chatting earlier, Johnny was suggesting that people were voting for the lens that they were hoping that they were going to be winning in a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> it's a reasonable strategy. It yeah. is, yeah. Somebody go and get it. Yeah, based upon that, I think I might have voted that way as well. Although, actually, no, I wouldn't because I've already got I've already got one. So I would I would have voted for the Yashica, which I, I think is actually a cracking lens. But uh, but all three all three lenses have got something going for them. But uh, yeah, um, there will be a Hexanon heading heading to Hong Kong in the near future. And w well done just now for pronouncing Yashica correctly. Oh, did I, 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 <laughs> nailed it! And I, now you've told me now, I'm going to forget. So I said Yashika, as, as, that's opposed to Yashika, yeah. Correct. Yeah, yeah. But so I usually say Yashika. So, uh, so I said Yashika. There you go. You're obviously a good influence on me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, so that yeah. So that's that's pretty much it uh, for the updates on those challenges, except. For the Tessar bit, uh, which is my bit, isn't it? Yes, um, it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's quite predictably, uh, it's it still hasn't been going very well. Um, and actually, I've got an excuse uh, because I did say the last week I would get my um, contacts lens, the old contacts lens from the, I think it's the nineteen thirties uh, lens. Uh, so 35 2.8 
Is it 35? Yeah, 35, 2.8. No, no, it's a 50. It's a 50, sorry. Um, I was, obviously, if it was a 35, it'll be, there'll be nothing wrong with it and it'll be fine. Uh, but though, it's a 50 mil. And uh, I, I wanted to use it and then I realised that I've got a problem with my adapter. Um, it's actually something, I'd, it's one of these adapters that was um, made out of a, a dead Kiev camera and uh, sent over to me from, from Ukraine. And I lent it out to somebody and it came back in the post and it must have taken a knock uh, because it, it wasn't adjusted correctly. I couldn't actually, I've got this Orion lens somewhere and I couldn't actually mount it on the adapter. And I realized that it was uh, knocked out of uh, alignment and looking at how it's adjusted, it, it's it's just the, the, the quality of the screws that were used in the construction to actually put the thing together uh, as an adapter was pretty poor. Um, so I've just decided to just get a, get another one. So I did, I've actually ordered one now for a couple of weeks ago, but it's taken a little bit of time to actually get to. So when that arrives, then I may well do that. But this, this brings on to the, to the next part. And that is why quite possibly some people are actually listening to this podcast. I don't normally listen to the podcast uh, because I've put out a trailer about one of the things that we're going to be talking about. And this came about um, because we were just having a, a chat about what we were going to do. And uh, Perry suggested, why don't we do something on contact Yashika? And that night I went to the six towns dark room and, um, the guy that pretty much runs the event there, Brian Truman, is a big Contacts fan. And I'd, I'd contacted him earlier about saying, could you bring a couple of Contacts bits, bits with you? I was just curious to have a look at an ST, I think it was, or an RTS that he got. And he just decided to bring all of his Contacts gear with him. And it was like, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, one of the items that he brought with him um was the 45 millimeter Tessar, uh, which I've, I've, I've owned one before, uh, in the hope that it'll be like the Holy grail of, uh, 45 to 50 millimeter Tessars and actually be good. Um, but I bought one and used it and it pretty much left me cold. Like most of them do. Uh, but it's a really tiny, tiny lens, but not only had he brought that with him, it also bought a contacts AX as well. And that is the, chubbiest um 35 millimeter uh camera i think that probably exists in at least in one that's formatted like a, a conventional one because uh obviously you get like the the rolly is it the sl no it's not sl35 but uh there's a there's a rolly that's uh, with that's the same kind of shape as like one of the um medium format cameras with a removable back um so as far as a conventionally shaped 35 millimeter camera I can't think of a, a chubbier one than the, the only uh, other one. I think that is like the AX is fat. Um, the other one that comes to mind is the Leica R8. Oh, yes. Far <laughs> inferior camera, but equally obese. Yeah. I, and, and, and this is the thing. The, the AX has got a reason for being fat. Um, <laughs> has, has the R8 got a reason for being as big as it is? Yeah. It's no. a Leica SLR. <laughs> we don't we, like his design approach to slrs i don't know just make it big it'll look impressive yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> well anyway so i've got this 
uh, AX uh, sitting sitting there in front of me, and there was uh, and there was a Tesla, and I just had to put the two things together because they just looked ridiculous. And I've shared the picture in, on Instagram and a few places in the uh, our our Facebook group for the podcast at least, and people have gone nuts over it because it just looks so ridiculous. Um, <laughs> as as Mike Mike Novak. Uh, commented it's uh he, he accused me of doing the the, the the fat guy in the small car gag um, with it. and it's uh yeah yeah but tessars um this particular tessar on a contacts ax it's a revelation um because what people don't well if many people won't realize why the contacts ax is as huge as it is um especially seeing that it's you know it's to all intents and purposes a, a manual focus uh 35 millimeter camera and the party trick of this 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 camera is the fact that it will actually it will auto focus a manual lens natively mm-hmm. and and for you know people might be wondering well how how does that actually occur and it's it's hard to actually explain because I still haven't quite got got my head around it. But um, because it's got internals in there that actually move uh, the film plane, so it's a, it's almost like it's got a built-in extension tube in the camera, which is why it's got that extra bit of depth. Um, so it, it must actually be moving moving the film. But when I've seen pictures of uh, the internals moving, it, it seems to move things in a slightly different way and it, it doesn't actually push the lens in and out it's doing something at the film plane so uh if there's anybody clever out there that can explain that better than me then i'll be uh, I'm, I'm all ears on that one but the, well, the... well moving sorry can i jump in yeah, on that yeah, real yeah. quick M- moving the film plane is um there are quite a lot of like old medium format folding cameras like yeah. the original mia sixes which move right. the film plane back and forth yeah. but the thing that makes the contacts ax pretty incredible is that it's doing this as a, in an slr right mm-hmm. so it's also whatever is happening is also translating itself to the viewfinder via the mirror and it it i, I mean i've tried one and it works really well yeah and and this is it's it's got another little party trick with it as well i'm just going to go into that mode right now and 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 this is this is what made me have a positive experience with this ridiculously small lens on this massive camera uh, is that it, it apart from auto focusing things which I'll, I'll come on to a little bit more detail in a moment it, it's got a macro mode so it effectively you can it, it extends it extends i'm just wondering actually does it auto focus as well no, no i don't think it does but uh, but yeah it's um it it extends the film plane, so it reduces the the uh, minimum focus distance. So you can turn just about, you know, certainly most lenses, and certainly the the shorter the focal length, the the more of an effect that this will have, um, and you can get immediately much much closer to to subjects. So I could I could go down if I wanted to take my flower shots with this camera, I could do it with this lens, which has normally got a normal minimum focus of only point you know six a 60 cent 60 centimeter minimum focus distance which is you know utterly unremarkable um but bang it into macro mode and just trying to work out what it is it's uh it's around about 20 centimeters so yeah this is remarkable what, what it's doing there is there's an in there's an entire internal assembly um that encompasses the viewfinder prism and the mirror 
and the film plane. And that entire internal assembly is shifting position when you when when you're moving it to macro focus mode. Yeah, I mean you can hear it. You can hear it shifting when it when it's when it's doing it there. And uh, but it seems that you can't actually. It doesn't actually auto focus now. It's, do, do, well, that's fine. do it like this to verify. If if you take the lens off and then shift it, you should see like the mirror. Yeah. The stuff attached to the mirror physically move backwards. Okay, let's see. Bingo. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say it's probably about t maybe maybe 10 mil of movement going on there as it goes. Oh, out. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, it's about a centimeter, yeah. Yeah. That's why it's so fat cuz the whole thing has to move. Yeah. So I'll I'll just I'll just play that noise just for uh, for our listeners. Here we go. There you go. How exciting is that? As I'm talking over the noise. There you go. Remar remarkable podcasting there. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, uh, but yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm knocked out with it. And the other the other thing about it is not as, as you might expect. It's not a light camera, and many of the later contacts cameras are just simply not light cameras. So it's but it's a it's a big camera, but it's a big camera for a reason. You know, it is it is doing something apart from the fact it's got a, a motor wine built into it as well, which obviously takes up some space. But it's there's a there's a huge bit of mechanics going on there that needs space to to move and and things to move into. So, you know, there is justification for its size. Mm -hmm. And it has a, a tracking AF as well, right? Uh, well, I'm not sure about tracking, but certainly continuous at least anyway. Um Oh yeah, sorry. That's, yeah, that's so whatever. single AF, and I mean, how effective these are is is another matter. But um, I'm just I'm just wondering if uh, because Johnny's been very very quiet. Uh, so I, I know that you've you've got some opinions on the on these, and I don't know if I've already had some of your objections off already or or not. But um, let's 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 bring Johnny in for this 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 part of the podcast now. Uh, I just can't. I just can't. I. It, I, I, it just—it's such a Rube Goldberg thing with a context name on it. I just—I can't. I can't. I'm a, sorry. A, a what I, thing? The AX. I do, it, it's. <laughs> you know those machines where like the ball goes in and the yeah. ball moves around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a Rube Goldberg machine. <laughs> it, it it's just an unnecessary solution to it. <laughs> to that sort of problem and oh, I, no 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 i think you're wrong because the lenses are so sweet that to be able to autofocus the context ishika lenses which we'll talk about later on you know the lenses it's worth it you know i mean if someone could figure out a way to do this on a like a range finder like i would buy that tomorrow while <laughs> while maintaining the range finder coupling and yeah. uh, i i mean i don't know i just i guess well, I, I, okay. Well, I, 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 when when I've laid eyes on this, when I've laid eyes on this camera in the past, I've looked at it, and even though I'm a contacts fanboy, I've looked at it and think that is just ridiculous. It's it's just way way too big for its own good, and the AF is going to be pretty poor, and and so on and so on. And and not only that, I'd need like to do weightlifting just to pick the thing up, and. It's it's really quite surprised me because it is it is not as heavy as I was expecting it to be. Yes, it's a big camera and 
yeah, and, it, and it's it weighs a bit. It's a kilo, I think, something like that. So it's it's not a light camera. But I can I I just think for the fact that it is actually doing something with it with its size, um, I can forgive that. And they've they clearly made some kind of efforts not to make the thing as as, as heavy as it as it could be. I mean, you certainly you know, pick this up and compare it to say a, an RTS three. Um, which are another one of uh, Johnny's favourite cameras. Um, it's it's lighter uh, than an RTS3. Does it not have like six AA batteries in it or something? <laughs> no, that could, that could be one of the reasons why it, why, why it doesn't. Um, it's uh, it uses the, I think is it called a two CR5? Oh battery? yeah, okay. Those are light. Yeah, they're big, but they're light. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The, the camera the camera makes me think of uh, Megan Trainer's song "All About That Bass." <laughs> I mean, like it's chunky, but it gives you something to hold on to. Um, so ergonomically, it's surprisingly good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but let, let's just just talk a little bit about the autofocus. But it's not. It's it is autofocus, but not as we know it. Um, because there, there there is a there's, there has to be a trade off. I mean, how do you have a, a manual focus lens? Uh, that you can autofocus, and it, and as you know, it, it's all down to that movement to the of the of the film plane, um, and but that movement might not be enough to cover the minimum focus to infinity. So you you still need to actually give it some help. So one of the ways you could do this is to focus it manually, and then I mean it's got back button focus. I mean, I'm just, just oh. I mean, how, how cool is that? You know, on a, on a, oh. on a film camera from, from that era, you know, back button, back button focus. <laughs> I, mean, I, it's, it's, I like that we have two completely opposite reactions to the same thing. Uh, right? Yeah. Jesus. What's wrong with, what's, I mean, we, we don't talk about autofocus on the show for good reason, but I want to, I want to know what your problem is with back button focus there, Johnny. I don't, first of all, I, <laughs> I just don't like it's sticking my thumb up my nose to focus my camera. It just—it's just not necessary. <laughs> no, man. But if you are going to use autofocus, you want to separate the focus and the shutter release button, right? And so, back button autofocus is objectively the better way to autofocus. Uh, but but I don't. But see, I don't. Yeah, I mean, neither do I. But 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 even when I use autofocus, I don't want that. I don't want to do that because I'm just going to focus and recompose. So I, I don't need to do that. <laughs> are you using your left? Exactly. Are, you, are you using your left eye, Johnny? No, I use my right eye. So how do you how do you put your thumb up your nose then with, your, with using your right eye? It's, it's too far away. I'm just I'm just trying to work out the position about how you might do that. No, it, I'm just I'm just I'm making a general statement on back button focus that you're I don't want to do anything with my hands on the back of the camera. But if if you if you if you're gonna focus and recompose, that's another argument for back button focus. No, no, because it's a great argument for focus and recompose as being just fine. <laughs> no, because because it, yeah, I know, but but if you focus with the back Back button right um then you know when you press the shutter it's not going to refocus whereas if you use the shutter button to focus and shoot then by the time you've locked focus if for some reason you forget you know you take your finger off the button then then i mean this is like why autofocus is lame um but <laughs> exactly. autofocus again when you have press so you know if you are going to autofocus i do think back button is is the best way to do it because why would you take two like you don't have an aperture and a shutter ring in the same dial, right? 
So like, why would you take, well, some cameras do, but <laughs> why, why would you take like the two of the most important functions on a camera and put them on the same button? It doesn't make sense. I don't. It makes sense to me. I don't know. It's way uh, to me. It's fine. It's fine. I'd, I'd rather have it just one in one. I'd rather have it all in one than in two two separate places. <laughs> I just. I don't. I don't. I don't want to do anything on the back of the camera with my hands, other than put my face on the back of the camera. That's it. What, what about advancing film? I, I don't. I don't typically do that with my eye to the to the camera either. I okay, mean, I just typically <laughs> don't, but even that's on top. It's not, it's not like, it's just, it's not my thumb. Like basically un, like next to my nose on, on the camera on the back. I just, it, I just can't do it. It's just, it's just an ergonomically stupid operation to me. I'd rather I'm fine with focus and recompose. I'm totally fine. And I'm just holding focus to the, just, just holding it to the point. And then release it. I'm fine with that. So I have no problem I'm, with that. I'm, a, I'm quite amazed by that because, you know, as, as a manual focus lens shooter, focus and recompose is just alien to me because that's, that's like one of the big advantages of, of, of shooting manually because you, you put it into the position, you get it into focus, and you take the shot. Wow. And you can. Not if you're using a rangefinder. <laughs> well, <laughs> there, there you go. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's somewhere we need to go onto that one. I think we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll 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 get into there. But yeah, that's 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 quite surprising. But, but I'm 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 certainly a, a, I converted to back button focus for for when I used uh, a Nikon for uh, for wildlife shooting. Um, so I was I was well impressed with this. But the the put the point being is that you you still need to manually focus, or you have to have some level of manual focus to um, in in certain situations. But what you what this would help you with is in a situation that that Perry had um, earlier on this week, where he was missing missing the focus around about the eyes. He was almost getting getting things in focus. Whereas with this, you know, I can I can pretty much get the focus right. But if I I would have the option just to press that little button and it would zip that tiny amount of movement that will be required to actually truly get the get get the person's face in focus when the when the lens is wide open. Yeah, yeah. So before we get onto that, um, the way what what Simon's talking about for anyone who's familiar with the uh, TechArt autofocus adapter for Leica M to Sony, it's pretty similar, where you have to like kind of pre-focus to the right area, and then the autofocus does the last step for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, now that Simon's mentioned it, uh, so I, I I went out shooting on Saturday. It was my mom's birthday. Um, and I brought a uh, roll of Portra with my Contax S2 uh, and a bunch of CY lenses because Contax Yashica lenses are are my favorite uh, SLR lenses. And I mentioned on a previous episode that I have a secret stash of them. Um, and yeah, I mean, focusing with a, an SLR is a pain in the butt. I mean, using an AX with autofocus would have fixed that problem, Simon. But so would using like a oh my god I can't believe I'm going to say this like so would using my Sony, um, with like <laughs> zoomy in button mode, uh, but also you know so would using a, a rangefinder. Yeah, um, but, and I know. People, but, but yeah, but the thing is, using like magnification that that's that's fine if you've got something static. But I mean, you're, when you're taking a picture of a person, it's yeah you know, zo zooming in. Yeah. 
is a, is a bit tricky sometimes and uh, and yes. it, it does certainly would get it would get in the way and and also you could by the time you've zoomed in and uh, and got it right you may have to still recompose and then press the button and you can still miss the focus then yes that's true but i i i am quite accurate with a rangefinder um even when it's like close to wide open at like moderate distances because like shooting with this slr was i i love these lenses but i i think i actually Oh, again, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think I actually like these lenses better on my Sony. Um, because shooting them on an SLR, like when you get to that sort of zone of correct focus, there's like a three to five degree motion on the lens where it's like, I don't know if I'm making it more in focus or less in focus because it all looks kind of in focus here. Yeah. Because um, yeah. at least on the context S2 I have, the, the viewing, the, what's it called? The focus screen doesn't show the out-of-focus areas um, as they appear on the film. It does some weird thing to them, so they appear as these like weird blob-like aberrations. Uh, so I, I literally can't tell um, when something is in focus versus when something is slightly out of focus. Whereas with a rangefinder, like, there's an exact point where it's in focus, and any movement I can see, at least if I'm going off that. Um, yeah, so that was, that was not fun. To be fair, to be fair, most of my shots from that role uh, were in focus. There were just like two or three shots that I really liked that were qu quite far off, and they looked okay to me through the viewfinder when I was shooting them. So, did did you find you were taking a different type of photograph because you were using an SLR compared to a rangefinder? Hundred percent, totally, totally different kind of photograph, um, because. I mean, how, how do I articulate this? Um, when you're looking through the lens wide open, uh, you see, well, I mean, you see the bokeh, right? You see like the out of focus uh, portions. Um, and so that becomes part of the calculus when I'm composing in a much more conscious way. Whereas when I'm shooting with a rangefinder, like you're not looking through the lens, you're just looking through a glass hole, right? Um, and so everything is in focus and I pay when I'm shooting with a rangefinder, I feel, I find that I pay much more attention to the overall composition and the, the relative positioning of things in my frame. Um, and if, if there's bokeh or if I have to use a faster aperture, that's just like a, a, a welcome or sometimes unwelcome side effect. Whereas with uh, shooting these fast, contact Yashica lenses wide open, it's a completely different experience because there's stuff in the background that I can just ignore because I can oofta it, right? <laughs> uh, and, and and so that's why I think, you know, my compositions are far, far superior when I'm shooting with a, a rangefinder. Um, but at the same time, like, I don't consider depth of field to the same degree when I'm shooting with a rangefinder because when you don't see it, sometimes it's like out of sight, out of mind, right? So a lot of the times when I'm shooting with a Leica on the street, um, I'll come back, I'll look at my photos, and, and sometimes I actually think like, oh, you know what? You know, this close-up street candid would have been maybe nicer with slightly shallower depth of field because there's like a garbage can in the background or something, but it just never occurs to me to to incorporate that shallow depth of field uh, into the composition. I mean, it, it, it harkens back to what I was talking about earlier with a Pentacon, that, that default desire to shoot at F8 and have everything in focus, and then to add shallow depth of field as a deliberate effect rather than when shooting with the SLR, that's the default starting point. And you, you literally have to press the depth of field preview button 
um, if you want to see what it's like when it's not wide open. So yeah, it, that was quite interesting. You know, it was the the first time I've shot with a film SLR for quite a while because like most you most of the time they're just kind of sitting on my um, sitting on my shelf. And and when I do shoot with a film SLR, it tends to medi- be medium format. But I was surprised at how. Uh, I mean, it, it goes back to the thing Johnny keeps saying, right? The camera totally matters. It changes the way you see the world. It changes the way you interact with your photography. And, and as a result, um, it changes the way that you shoot. I was taking pictures of, you know, individual subjects with the background blurred out because that's what the camera was pushing me to do, which is fun. There was a, a photo you put up the other day. Um and I'm not even sure if it was today, actually, but it's uh, it's like some kind of tram, um, and you can see the drive, and you're shooting head on. Mm-hmm. Um, was yes. Was 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 that an SLR shot? No, that's 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 digital. Uh, I shot that with on my Sony A7R2 with a uh, ah, 51.4 yeah. planar. That, that, that's it. I've i now found the shot now. Um, I think I think that's a, that's a that's a really striking photograph, and. For me, it's it's in, it's interesting that that it was actually taken with the with with your planar um, as opposed to with a with a, with a Leica because I I just wonder if you would have taken that shot in the way that you took it with if you were using your rangefinder because I think the control of the depth of field it's it really draws your attention to the to the subject matter which is in, it's what's also interesting about that shot actually is the the main subject matter is right bang in the middle of the frame uh, which mm-hmm. is something that we tend to avoid but it's exactly right in that particular scene uh yeah i mean um the, the i mean the rest of the tram i think completes the composition yeah. uh, especially the guy behind the driver so you do have like the kind of break break up of the frame into like maybe five different components. Yep. Um, I I don't know if this shot would have been too different on a Leica because I think the reason I'm shooting with shallow depth of field is just because it's at night. Um, and so I have my aperture wide open to let in more light. So I think if I was shooting this with a Leica, I would also like open up to F2 or something. And But here, the, the, the bokeh and the kind of depth of field is something that I'm seeing as I'm shooting. So it is a very deliberate part of the composition i guess like i'm i'm looking at it as i'm composing whereas with the Leica, it would be it would be an after not an afterthought like a side effect i would come home exactly. i would look at the picture and go oh hey there's there's bokeh and 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 that's and again yeah that, and that's 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 the point you'd be be making there that you you you're encouraged to shoot in a certain kind of way but i i just think in this, in this case i think the image is stronger as, as as a result of that desire to get the shot in the way that the, the camera's sort of pushing you towards but if you've got a more of a, a street scene and, and there are more people in it i can see how it could actually hinder you because you'll be losing interest um in, you know parts of interest in your shot will, will just it won't be visible to you while you when you while you're composing yeah, if this were in, during the day and I were shooting it with a Leica, I would probably have shot it at f8, and then all that stuff in the background and the taxi and stuff would be perfectly in focus. Yeah, and I think you're right that that would have detracted from the shot. Yeah. So horses for courses, but it, yeah. but it, but it, it's still an interesting one that you can you can pick up two two cameras and come away with 
different different shots simply because of the cameras that you're using because there's always that thing about it's not about the equipment it's about the photographer um, but for me you can see very different photographs depending on the kind of the equipment that you go out and use it's also a test. Yeah, I, mean, I, I was going to say it's also a big compliment to you that you can go out with two different types of uh, equipment and come back with great shots that which rely upon you using the equipment differently. Oh, thank you. Um, but no, you're right. I mean, like I think I think if you shoved like a Pentax six seven in Johnny's hands and told him to go shoot pigeons on the street, like you would get <laughs> get like totally he dreams of. <laughs> <laughs> you, you would get totally different images, right? I, I think. Yeah. Yes, agreed. Okay. Um, okay. Let's let's talk a, a, a little bit um, more about the cameras. Uh, we, we, it's, I'm sort of slightly hesitant on this because there is a there's another podcast out there that many people um, that listen to this may may listen to, and that's the classic camera revival. And they uh, go do deep dives in, into into cameras. Um, and they sometimes go into lenses as well. And when when they do the camera stuff, and they're thinking, yeah, yeah, that's interesting, that's interesting. And then they always talk about lenses, and I'm there thinking, oh, you didn't mention that. You could have said this, and so on. Yeah. And and, <laughs> and, uh, and now I'm I'm here. I am. I'm talking about cameras, and uh, they're getting, oh, he's forgot to say this, and no, he's wrong on that. And yeah, so, uh, yeah, so I'm on, I'm on my own back for shouting at him in in, in the car occasionally by uh, talking about some of these cameras, but. Um, Let's do a, a quick little bit of history of uh, of, of contacts before we get um, in, into the lens lens stuff. And I'll just bring up my notes, and but largely my notes are uh, almost straight out of an article for on Casual Photophile by a friend of the show Cheyenne Morrison, um, who wrote uh, an article. We'll put links up to the, to this, um, and it's uh, the actual article is entitled um, "The Contacts Aria." 70 years edition review but within that review of that camera it, it goes into quite some depth um, about um, about contacts cameras the uh, the contacts Yashica uh, cameras in particular not so much the um, the other the older contacts which um, many people will certainly class as being real contacts as opposed to these uh, these these later ones um, you mean the ones made by Yashica yes <laughs> or Kiyosera, I should say. Yeah. Well, and well, actually, that was that was one of the uh, interesting. And, yeah, and or Cusina. <laughs> well, yeah, and that certainly in the in the later years. Uh, although we're talking more about the lenses than the than, than the cameras, but um, just a, a quick a quick history of uh, contacts. Um, the, the 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 Japanese era, uh, should we say? And I think there was a the, a point where. Um, I should have written down the exact camera, but the, the, the last made in Germany contacts camera was a bit of a disaster um, because they were pretty much losing the race in terms of cameras, building cameras that could compete with the Japanese because the Japanese were just, um, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were just moving ahead at a, at a pace. Uh, they had learned the way that the, the Germans were making cameras and they're looking at it and thinking, well, we can do better than this. We can make them lighter, faster, cheaper, and all all of those those things. And that, and that was exactly what, what they were doing. Um, so they were, the Japanese were producing better cameras and they were certainly having a, a, um, a substantial lead on the electronic side of things. And initially, uh, contacts, or rather Zeiss, I should say, Carl Zeiss, uh, the West German Zeiss, um, they were getting very, very cozy with Pentax and ultimately produced two lenses 
you've got the Hollywood uh, Distagon. Uh, so, the, so that's the 28 millimeter uh, f2 uh, Carl Zeiss lens. But they actually you can buy that lens as a Pentax as well, and it actually uses Zeiss optics that were made in Germany and, and shipped over to Japan and uh, and put into um, Pentax um, uh, lens bodies. And they also did, uh, I think it was a 15 mil. Yeah, 50 mil, uh, 3.5. And again, that would say it's exactly the same as, at least I believe it to be, uh, the same as the, the Zeiss lens, uh, but sent over to Japan. And uh, you can get that in a, a Pentax body. The, a few years ago, you can actually pick these things up at, at sensible prices, but people have caught on now. And uh, you, you know, the days of buying these, these bargain uh, Hollywood distagons uh, because they're in a Pentax body are, are pretty much long gone unless you've, you're particularly lucky. Um, but for reasons that are not particularly clear, then they, um, Zeiss didn't continue uh, with um, with Pentax and they opened uh, discussions with uh, Yashica. I, was, I won't say Yashica now, I'll say Yashica. Um, well done. Thank you. And uh, I think one of the reasons why they I'm sure there are going to be quite a few reasons, but certainly one of the reasons why they, they spoke to Yashica uh, was their um, reputation for um, electronics and uh, electronic shutters and shutter control uh, because they were doing very, very good work at the time. Certainly uh, the Electro 35 was was a very popular camera that was uh, showed how you, how to do uh, aperture priority in a in a not really a compact camera, but it's it's a it's a big thing, but certainly a fixed a fixed lens uh, camera, and uh, they also had the ability uh, to make high quality lenses because um, at some point prior um, the the famous Tomioka uh, the company that we've spoke about on uh, many occasions were uh, bought by uh, Yashica. Um, and so I'm not too sure if Yashica were, have always used Tomioka lenses or whether that uh, uh, they made their own. But uh, either way, uh, Yashica came in came under the same um, sorry Tomioka came under the same umbrella, um, and they produced I think it was about nine. Oh, I've lost my dates now, uh, but they they ultimately produced the uh, the first camera that came came together was uh, called the RTS, um, and that was a particularly nice camera uh, for for the age when it actually came out it was quite futuristic it was it was designed by Ferry Porsche uh, the guy behind the uh, the Porsche 911 he, at that point he'd actually left Porsche and had his own uh, design studio so whenever you see uh, designed by Porsche that's that's the design studio um, that we that we're talking about there uh, sorry yeah go for it Johnny <laughs> <laughs> to me, that's usually the hallmark of a camera that is like absolutely shit design. I've just got to say it. Designed by Porsche. Just pull up a list of cameras that have the design by Porsche as a selling point, and they're usually horrendous. So <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, no, that's, that's fine. General rule of thumb. Yeah. Except, except, <laughs> if, they, except if they say contacts on the label. Wait, 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 wait. So, so there are there are there are a bunch <laughs> of cameras, modern and old, designed by like car designers, right? Are you, do you mean specifically Porsche or car designers? No, uh, probably just specifically by Porsche. Okay, because I was gonna say the Nikon F three. Yeah, uh, there's a great example of exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> wait, you think the F three is is shit design? I hate the F three. <laughs> 
Wait, wait can we, like, sorry, Simon. Can we do a one minute? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. It's gorgeous. I mean, oh, it's ugly with a freaking red racing stripe. Seriously. <laughs> okay. Like the stripe aside, I agree with you. It's so nice. What are you talking about? That camera is fantastic. Uh, overrated. Oh man. Whereas, you know, for example, Leica, they, they released a M10 Zagato edition, right? Um, which I think is just the ugliest piece of crap. But that's uh, not. Yeah. But that's not intended to be a real camera. I mean, that's a, a camera that's bought by, you know, those wealthy collectors to sit on the shelf that buy every single camera. That's like what keeps like a float. I mean, yeah, that, yeah. No, the F three was meant to be an actual user camera. It is. It's. It's. I mean, it was like the workhorse of photojournalists for. And I feel so sorry for them that they actually had to make a living with that camera. Oh man, you're gonna get hate mail for that. There's I don't so many- care. It's fine. <laughs> it's got a horrible viewfinder. Come no, on. I think. I think let's 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 put Johnny's okay. attitude into context here. Um, uh, could you could you tell us all of the Nikon cameras that you actually think are great? So it won't take long, will yeah, it? Yeah, the FE and the FM, and uh, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> Well, there's the F. Uh, you you like the F as well, don't you? The original yeah. one. Yeah, as long as it's got a standard prism on it and not that idiotic photomic thing. Yeah. But <laughs> that, that's that's pretty much it. Anything else that's Nikon have ever it. done apart from that? Yeah, the F2. The F2. Yeah. yeah, the F2. M2, FM3. You can keep them all. Yeah, you can keep them all. The, FM, the FM2 and the FM3 are nice. It's just they, of course, they should have left the mount on with the flippy lever so you could actually you know, use more lenses on it. That's my only gripe about those. Those are really nice. Um, uh, but I, I would, I would take the F E as their best all around design because it's got an actual, I I'm convinced they outsource the viewfinder to somebody else because it's actually useful. It actually shows all of your shutter speeds and it shows like what your, it doesn't have just a plus and a minus. It's it's an actually really great viewfinder. So I'm convinced Nikon didn't design it. Because they suck at viewfinders. <laughs> All right. All right. Back to contacts. Quick. quick. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So car design and Porsche are great. Um, that's, that's, <laughs> um, but I, th- I think actually when... I'm going to jump jump ahead a little bit in time because uh, I I came on board with uh, with contacts with the 159 and that marked a a um, a change in the design language to some degree. You, know, you could still see it was a contact. You could still see the uh, the lineage going back to say R, 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 the RTS, uh, but what it did uh, it was shaped um, so uh, it had a it had a very very small um thumb grip if or finger finger grip um so but it, the actual it was it was it was very subtle the way they actually did it because they moved the body out as well at the same time so um it, it, it it's it used a different design language to um to canon and nikon which after the canon t90 pretty much any every every canon uh, up to today and, and just about every Nikon owes its design pretty much to the Canon T90 and what I liked about contacts although back in the day you know the T90 had only just come out when I when I had when I bought my 159 um, 
it was nice to know that there was a a different design language out there that you can make a a, a camera with brilliant ergonomics and and be different from what ultimately everything else looked looked like to follow but but okay so sometimes being different is not a good thing <laughs> when when something works right because like i mean we'll get on again we'll, let's get onto the lenses soon because i think they're amazing but the contacts <laughs> bodies like the 159 the R rts rx i have one contacts camera uh it, it, well, no, no no the one contacts slr i've tons of other contexts. Um, I have a S2. And the reason I, I like the S2 is it's A, fully mechanical, because all the other ones are electronic and will eventually become paperweights. Uh, and B, it's like the ISO dial is in the normal place. The shutter dial is in the normal place. There isn't an, an extra weird dial by the shutter that I don't know what it does. Um, and yeah, I mean, that that's good, right? I, I feel like for me, the S2 is the only contacts body that operates intuitively, whereas others, all of the other contacts bodies I've tried um, have some kind of dial that I do not understand how it works. And I'm not, I'm <laughs> let, 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 let me stop you there, because that, you're describing the, um, the exposure compensation dial, which <laughs> is in where your thumb is, which is exactly the right place to put that kind of dial on a, on a camera. Uh, because... Why is it marked with like fractions? <laughs> it's not fractions. It's just plus. It says plus one, plus two. <laughs> no, the one five nine mm has like maybe oh. there's different versions of it. But when I tried, it was like it started at four and went to like a quarter. Oh right, okay. Well, they 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 got rid of that because I mean the the cameras. I mean that's the thing. We yeah we are we are very very camera heavy this week, aren't we? Um, uh, let's go on to lenses quickly. Yeah, I know, I know. But I've got, I've got, I've got four ca contacts cameras in front of me. I can't help it. Um, okay, but uh, but no, on on the my my favourite camera has been been the RX, and the the compensation dial is where normal shutter speed dial will be. But the difference is, is I can turn that with my thumb and get exposure compensation with my thumb when I use it, like I do with these cameras in aperture priority mode, which is exactly the same mode as I would use my Sony as well. And therefore the, uh, the, 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 the exposure compensation dial being readily and easily available, um, on my, on my right thumb is, is, is really natural. Um, so that's, that's could be why I actually like, uh, contacts and why I like, uh, using, using the Sony because there's, there are actually some crossovers there that are uh, between the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Should we talk lenses? Because people have been waiting for this <laughs> for, 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 for however long. Um, uh, you've you've got some pretty damn sexy lenses, Perry. So tell 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 us tell us a bit about the lenses you've 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 got. Yeah, a little bit of backstory first. Um, my first encounter with contact Yashica lenses was quite a long time ago. Uh, back when I was shooting Canon DSLRs. Um, and there are two that stick in mind. Uh, a, a while back, um, when I when I was first a guest on the show, I mentioned uh, a, a guy at a fashion show that I was shooting who was shooting runway with a 100mm F2 planar. And, and that was actually my first experience with someone using a classic lens for really serious work. Uh, and he just kept raving about it. But but even, even before that... Um, 
in my late teens, so so well over, like a long time ago. Uh, well, not as long as it was for you guys, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I was shooting with uh, I had a I had I had a Canon DSLR, uh, probably a five D, um, and I had saved up a bunch of money from like summer jobs and stuff to purchase my first Canon L lens, uh, which was a seventeen to forty f four zoom, and I was like you know, super pleased that I'd got myself one of these red ring Canon lenses. Canon's marketing team was sitting there like happy with themselves that another sucker had bought into the red ring marketing. Um, <laughs> and I was perfectly happy with this lens until one day, uh, someone let, let me borrow their contacts, Yashica 21 millimeter F 2.8 Distagon, uh, which I promptly slapped on to my Canon cause they had an adapter and, uh, took some test shots cause you know, at uh, at that stage in photographic development, I didn't know any better, and I was pixel peeping every new lens, and uh, the contacts just smoked my brand new shiny Canon L lens. Like it just blew it out of the water, and I was like, "What? <laughs> Why is this old lens so much better than my than my new you know swanky autofocus lens?" And I was both annoyed but also fascinated. Um, so fast forward to like a couple of years ago from now, I got my first contact Yashica lens, which was a 51.4 planar, uh, because the Zeiss ZM lenses are my favorite Leica M mount lenses. I love the way they look. And I thought, Hey, you know what? I'm going to buy this lens because it says Carl Zeiss on it. <laughs> and it, it feels kind of nice. Um, so yeah, it turns out that, that, that was quite a nice lens, uh, Simon. You know, it's your favorite. Yeah. Um, and I ended up uh, in a few months after that picking up a 28 2.8 Distagon, uh, an 85 1.4 planar, and a 100 millimeter f2 planar. Because um, I figured, you know what? I, I normally like small lenses, but if I'm shooting an SLR, screw it. I'm just going to, you know get the nice big fat lens and the camera didn't come until much much later uh when i was at a shop actually with a listener of the podcast and so this was quite recent and i was talking to the shopkeeper and i was playing with the contacts ax that you were talking about earlier um and the shopkeeper asked me like oh do you have uh contacts Ishika lenses and i was like yeah i've got a couple <laughs> he asked me which ones i listed them and he was like he looked at me with his blank stare and was like, you, you don't have a CY camera, but you have those four lenses. And I was like, what, what should I have a CY camera? He's like, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, okay, you know what? G I'll give me the mechanical one, not this weird autofocus thing. Uh, so then I picked up the S2. They are very nice lenses. And before we rave about specific lenses, I, I, there's one thing I wanted to add about the AX that I forgot, which is super cool. Because it focuses with a mechanism that's separate to the lens, you can actually adapt other lenses onto it and then give autofocus capabilities on film to other, you know, other lenses. So I've seen people, for example, take like the optical block from like a Contax G 90 millimeter 2.8 sonar, stick it on like an M42 helicoid and then uh, mount it to CY and boom, you got that lens uh, with, with proper autofocus. Wait, 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 I've got to stop you there. That, really? 
I mean, oh, yeah. Sorry. I mean, when I'm questioning this, because I've, uh, I'm not questioning the fact that you can use different lenses, because I've, I forgot to mention, actually, I've, I put my 100mm F2 Soviet night vision lens uh, on my contacts, but it's got an M42 to CY adapter and it auto focused, which is just like nuts. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah. yeah, this this lens was never meant to be on the camera, let alone be an auto focused lens. Um, so that absolutely works, but I, I don't see how you can possibly put a contacts G lens onto an M42 helicoid. Because and... for, no, no, for that specific lens, the optical. Uh, oh, design. sorry. Yeah, the optical block. Sorry, you didn't. You didn't it wasn't the actual yeah, the optical, uh, body the of the lens. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it doesn't stick out at the rear. The the glass is very very far forward on the lens. So mm. with just the optical block, you yeah. can then adapt. Okay, yeah. that's cool. Super cool. Um. So and anyway, those are the four lenses that I have for CY. Um. I, I don't know how you want to approach like talking about individual lenses. They're all really good. <laughs> Well, it, it is is a thing in itself, um, and we we were chatting about this this beforehand. And I know Johnny's Johnny's got uh, will have some thoughts, but you know, I think with a lot of um, when if you fall in love with a brand, then it becomes very very easy to say, well, my Leica lenses or my contacts lenses or my Nikon lenses or my Canon L lenses are just the best because it's it is what it is. And uh, and that's probably not the case. And I know, Johnny, you've you've expressed some thoughts on that kind of attitude before. Uh, yeah, and and uh, just this morning, we uh, there's a, a nice write up uh, uh, 35 MMC, kind of along the same lines of the this is the best or that is the best uh, theory. So. That sums it up nicely. Well, I think we should put a link link to that. <laughs> I, I think there's some truth to that because in terms of optical quality, like they're very good, but I, I wouldn't say, for example, that they blow away like, you know, like the SMC Takumar 55 1.8 or, um, well, well, let's be specific here. So I, I, I find with these uh, contacts Yashica lenses that I have that their color is wonderful, like all Zeiss lenses. They do not have the 3D pop of, uh, my Leica mount, like M mount Zeiss lenses. I, I, I don't see it um, wide open or stop down. Um, and to me, they render quite differently. There's a, it's really hard to describe, um, but there's like a, 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 they don't have the smoothness of my favorite rangefinder lenses. But at the same time, number one, they handle so nicely. Like these focus rings are far superior to any other uh, SLR lenses that I have. And number two, they have some really interesting optical characteristics. Like the 51.4 is sharp enough wide open, but as you stop it down, it it becomes astonishing. Like um, this thing at f2.8 or something on the Sony is just, the resolution is more than I would ever need. Uh, and, and similarly with the 85 1.4, it's not crazy sharp wide open. But the softness manifests itself in a much less obnoxious way than some rangefinder lenses that are soft, wide open, and then sharpen up as you stop them down. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, well, it's, it's just interesting there because one of the things that these lenses are generally famed for is is exactly what you said that they're not um, in, in your experience. And uh, when, you, when you talk about that about 3D pop, 
to use that to use that expression. Um, science lenses are generally well well known for it, and there's another term that tends to come out uh, at the at the cupboard uh, when when we talk about these things as micro contrast um, that has been been spoken about. But certainly, a, a lot of these lenses it depends on how you you're actually using them, uh, because certainly shooting lenses wide open, generally speaking, is not is not the best way to actually get three dimensional pop as such totally. because, uh, because the the way to achieve that is to get your depth of field perfect for the object that you're actually the, the subject matter that you're you're taking so that anything behind it uh, is is going to be out of focus to, to 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 some degree whereas if you're shooting wide open you're only going to get part of the subject that's that's truly in focus and then while you're already so so your 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 depth of field is going to be really really tight so it's going to go to the point where it's sharp and then it will graduate into the outer focus while it's still on the subject matter that you started off with if that makes any kind of sense um yeah so so shooting wide open is, is generally speaking not the way to get 3d pop i mean you, you can do it on certain lenses but they've got to be incredibly sharp um and generally generally pretty pretty modern and it's you know uh, like some of the some of the chinese lenses or perhaps a olympus 100 mil f2 i've not tried the uh the, the zeiss um but you can do an environmental portrait and you can isolate somebody uh because because you're that much further away, your depth of field is a little bit greater, so you can actually achieve the same kind of isolation as as, the, as you're trying trying to achieve with um, when when you're trying to get these three D pops when you're a little bit closer to the subject. So, yeah, I, I find that when you do stop when you do stop these things down, especially the 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 fifty one point four and the the eighty five two point eight sonar. Um, they are they are capable of incredible three um, D pop, if you like. Yeah, to be fair, I have seen that on these lenses. Um, all I was saying is they don't have it to the same degree as the Zeiss lenses on on M mount. Um, but at the same time, I think it might be a function of the particular lenses that I have and their design, and not the CY range as a whole. Because the 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 three longer lenses that I have are all planar designs. Um, and the pictures that I've seen from the 85 sonar and the, I think the 100 millimeter was also sonar, uh, to my eye have more of that sort of 3D look that I like in a lens compared to these planar designs. But I bought the planars because they're faster and sexier. Um, whereas, whereas, you know, on, uh, on the range finders, the ZM planar, to my eye, does not pop anywhere near as much as the sonar at the same apertures and the biogons uh typically for me have more of that look than the distagons with the exception of the 35 1.4 which is <laughs> johnny are you tied in your room at the moment <laughs> he's he's gone he's yeah. like <laughs> It did. It did. It did. It did say that uh, I haven't really got much to talk about with these uh, these contact lenses, guys. <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, I think it, I don't wonder if he has actually disappeared. <laughs> um, okay, we'll carry on regardless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he'll be back, and we'll give him a hard time for it. What? What is that sound? Oh, that was that was me with the screwdriver. Sorry, do apologize. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
Okay, I thought that was still Johnny doing something. I didn't realise you could hear that. There you go. Yeah, no, he was Johnny. Yeah, he wasn't me. Um, okay, well, um, all right, let's let's talk about a few other specifics. So I've got the 85 planar in front of me, and you've got an 85 planar as well. Yeah, let me um, just grab I'm curious now, um, is yours a, an MM or is it an AE lens? Uh, my 85 and my 50 are AEG, and my uh, 128 are MMJ. So to clarify for our listeners, these CY lenses, the Zeiss ones, they come in uh, four different flavors. So the letter at the end, the J or the G, just indicates whether it's made in Japan or whether it's made in Germany. And from my experience, there's no optical dif difference in optical quality between them. The AE and the MM, there is a difference in terms of the way they interact with this cameras, which, Simon, you can probably talk about because I don't really get the difference. But the other really noticeable difference is the AE versions of the lenses have uh, ninja star-shaped aperture. So when you stop down one, two, uh, it disappears after you stop down three stops. The, the I guess your bokeh balls won't be perfectly round uh, or even... Or even like um, geometrically shaped, they'll have these weird little, nin yeah, ninja stars is the way that they're often described. Uh, so yes, I've got the ninja star version of the eighty-five and fifty. Yeah, and it it can be. I mean that that's that's the thing when you when you're taking some of these shots, you you it can be very intrusive either whether it be a hexagon or whether it be a, a ninja star and, and there are some people that prefer one one way or the other uh i, I dislike them both ultimately uh, but i i i guess i have a preference for the mm lenses for for it's just more conventional uh shaped apertures which unfortunately on on many of these lenses is only six blades uh, which is that's one of the things that truly annoys me um because you know i i, I have some matching Nikon lenses that I keep to use just use on my Sony uh, and the only reason I have them is because there are times where I want to go out and shoot some shots at night and I, I pretty much think that the Nikon lenses or most of these Nikon lenses are, are the equal uh, of, the, of the Zeiss lenses but they have a seven blade aperture so you can get 14 points of light on your on your um, what do they call them now starbursts uh, on the for, for points of light so that that's something that really really annoys me uh about these uh carl's ice lenses but the the mm lenses are as we've talked about they are the the later version and some of those and certainly not all uh of those lenses have some optical improvements over the over the earlier ae uh, lenses oh, yeah, yeah. um but it's 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 got to be said that you know the if you're certainly if you're shooting on film, then I doubt you'll 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 see any difference uh, be, between an AE and an MM lens. And frankly, I think you're only going to see a difference on digital if you're pixel peeping, which um, guys you shouldn't be doing. Stop pixel peeping. <laughs> um, so the the other the the functional difference, um, and you can tell a, an MM lens over an AE lens because the whatever the smallest aperture is, um, whether it be f sixteen or whatever on a mm lens is in green and that's yeah. and that's similar to uh, you know a lot of uh, lenses of the day uh, when 
things like uh, programmed apertures started to come in um where you would you put the thing into f into the into the smallest aperture and and then that would enable something like a program mode or something like that and it's no different with the contacts um so and i think i mean so i think the a which one was it the the 159 was i think the first contacts that had a program mode which i never really got got my head around it it just seems to me it's like a it's almost like a point and shoot mode for using a you know an enthusiast level camera um never quite understood why why people would do that but it's it's there and the and it's it's something that's continued um but i think shutter priority i think that's the other difference i i don't think the ae lenses can do shutter priority um and the difference being is there's a there's a, a metering pin an extra little piece that sticks out on the uh, on the mount of the lens that makes a connection with the camera um, on the MM lenses, and that's that's just not there uh, with the AE lenses. Um, another another thing, I, mean, I was talking to Brian uh, Brian Truman, whose uh, collection uh, I took that photograph with loads of uh, um, Zeiss porn, uh, and also the owner of most of these cameras and lenses that are in front of me at the moment. He actually prefers the AE lenses, um, whereas I have a preference for the MM lenses. And oh, why? and he he generally views it because he's had more because he also repairs his own lenses as well and he's he's had more problems with the mm lenses than he has with the ae lenses so he's, he's pretty much suggesting that they're a little bit the, the construction's a little bit better uh, on the ae lenses over the mm lenses um my view is a, is a completely opposite although i don't take lenses apart uh it's it's quite often I'll I'd look at two lenses and it, it tends to be the AE lenses seem to be showing their their age more than the MMs, which you could argue well they are actually well, slightly better. older so it it, go, yeah. it goes with it but you know, be, yeah these these lenses generally speaking are well looked after um, because yeah. the the contacts is yes they could be used professionally and the RTS system was a aimed at professionals but generally speaking professionals back in the day weren't using contacts they were using uh, mainly Nikon at the time and uh, to a lesser degree they were going around with F1s uh, from 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 Canon so the contacts was a was a, a range of cameras that was aimed at the uh, enthusiasts. And frankly, the enthusiasts have got a bit more money in the pockets as well. Um, so enthusiasts with a bit more money, yeah, they, you know, these lenses do cost a little bit more than uh, some of the more economical SLR options. But I think there's a couple of things driving that price, apart from just the Carl Zeiss brand. Number one, these lenses are very, very popular for cinema adaptations. Um, and they... Yeah, they're really, really um, popular in that world. But secondly, you know, I, I find that when you look at the way that they're constructed, the focus rings are very, very well thought out in terms of the throw. So w one thing I mentioned on a previous episode is if you look at, for example, hold on, let me grab it, uh, the 28 Distagon, both the Hollywood and the one that I've got, um, the, you have a really, really long focus throw from one meter to minimum focusing distance and not much from infinity to one meter. Whereas if you compare that to the 50, 85 or 100, it's much more kind of evenly spaced, uh, on the focus ring. And I think as a result of that, number one, it gives you a lot of precision when you're shooting close up. And what I've seen from this 28 is 
in particular, like this lens, it's, it's, well, first of all, for this 28, I bought it because it is one of the lenses where the MM version is optically better than the uh, AE version. Um, but it's a lens that is really good at far distances and infinity, but it's astonishingly good up close as well. Um, and when we're talking about sort of 3D pop in a wide angle lens, like, yeah, this one totally nails it. And I think um, it, it, the fact that the focus throw is that long, it just enables you to be not only more precise, but if you were to adapt it to shoot video, you also just get like a lot more smoothness and your ability to focus on like a subject up close. So yeah, the handling is important, right? And these lenses really shine in that department. Well, that's that's ultimately, and I've said it many times, why why my fifty millimeter one point four planar is is my favourite ever lens, and that's largely because of the way that it handles. I've I've used um, optically superior fifty millimeter one point four lenses. Um, I will never actually say that lens is the is the ultimate lens. I mean, some people will do and say that, but I don't believe that to be the case uh, because I don't think there's actually any one lens that's that's the best of any particular thing. Um, un unless there's a genre where there's most lenses are rubbish and there just happens to be a good one, um, but no, I think handling of these lenses is 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 is, is special. Um, we've not talked at all about the other lenses that will fit on the contact Yashica mount, and that's the Yashica lenses, the ML range of lenses in particular, although. There's also the DSB lenses as well, which which is the uh, the the budget range. So there's what's what's interesting is that there's a, there's like three levels of lens that you can use uh, with the contact Yashica mount. And another quick thing that just popped into my head there because I, my first camera was a Yashica, and uh, when it, in the uh, literature for for Yashica, uh, the mount wasn't described as contacts Yashica. It was Yashica contacts. So it was it was YC. Um, I guess whoever makes it gets to put their name first, right? Exactly. And I was just thinking, why did they do that? Yeah, they're, they're making the same things. I mean, and and a lot of the bodies, especially the earlier ones, when we're talking about the contacts one three nines, one three sevens, and stuff like that, they they were equivalent Yashica cameras. Uh, like the FR and FRD uh, were all intents and purposes the same camera but with uh, a little bit less functionality and 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 not as sexy um, but the I've got to say the the Yashica lenses um, especially the ML lenses are excellent um, they're really really good lenses um, some of which are reputed to be exactly the same or virtually the same as the as, as the Zeiss uh, mm -hmm. equivalent and I'm I'm one of those people that's firmly in the camp that the uh, Yashica ML 51.4 is the same lens as the um, is the is the planar 51.4 and the same goes for the 51.7 I'm pretty sure that those those two lenses are the same in fact actually generally I prefer the uh, Yashica 51.7 to the uh, to, to the planar um, in feel and in uh, the way it looks and of course like the the, the 51.4 ml you get eight blades it's as if like uh, Yashica were like saying well, okay well we've got your lens and now we're going to make it better um, and you can go out and you can buy that lens for less than half the price of the planar and when I've done pixel peeping between the two of them and I've done some specific tests I'd swear that the uh, Yashica is uh, 
is a sharper lens or certainly compared to mine at least anyway um not that i kept it because at the end of the day it doesn't handle quite as well um as is my favorite favorite lens ever um which which actually you mentioned something else the other week about um you bought that 50 millimeter planar uh, zm planar for your leica because you wanted yeah. a lens that just worked you can just pick yeah. it up you knew what you were going to get and that's exactly what I get with uh, with my 50mm uh, planar. There may well be uh, slightly better lenses out there, but I know that I can go out with that lens and I'll get the the results that I want when I've and when it when it really really matters. Um, and that, I think that's one of the beauties of of a, of a great handling lens. Was frankly, it's the handling that makes that lens great for me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's my go-to SLR lens as well. If I'm shooting SLR lenses on my Sony. Um, I might put some really random stuff in my bag, but that one always finds a place in there because it's just, yeah, it's it's solid and everything. And honestly, on digital, you could really see the difference. On film, I don't know if I could tell the difference between, well, no, I'll, I'll be upfront. I can't really tell the difference between a lot of my SLR lenses, except for things like, you know, uh, point light source bokeh and stuff like that. But on digital, I, the CY lenses that I have, I think, smoke my other SLR lenses um, in terms of their the pleasantness of their rendering. And it's not all it's not all about sharpness. Like the the eighty five one point four planar is nowhere near as sharp, uh, at least wide open or at uh, equivalent like wide apertures compared to the one hundred millimeter f two planar. Uh, but I like the rendering of the eighty five uh, quite a bit more. It's it's got a Kind of smoother, um, slightly more interesting uh, overall look than the planar, which is just like sharp and not modern and clinical. But there's something about its rendering that makes me want to pick it up less than the 85, which is, you know, it's a lens that has a bit of a cult following. Um, but I think that cult following is completely deserved because it really has some magic to it. Yeah, when, uh, I was going to say when I, when yeah. I pick this. RTS three up with a uh, with that with that eighty five planar. It, you, you, it's one of those lenses you you put to your eye and you look through and you think, oh wow, this is this is this is nice. It just makes you smile uh, when you when you when you look through it. It is a sheer quantity of glass at the front, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but there are you know there are a lot of hidden hidden optical qualities of some of these lenses too. Like I think when I got this set of lenses, I spent some time trying to figure out why cinematographers like them so much. Um, and one of the things that I discovered shooting some test videos on my uh, A7R2, the 28 Distagon has a very odd behavior where it's pretty resistant to flare, but if you stop it down to, I think, F4, um, it it will flare in a really, really attractive way if the light source is kind of above and like off frame and that was kind of a surprise to me because a lot of lenses i've tried like they'll flare wide open and then you stop them down and the flare disappears right but here's a lens that doesn't really flare in a noticeable way wide open or if it does flare it's like a kind of veiling that doesn't add much noticeable and anything much noticeable to the shot but then once you stop it down a couple of stops you're able to make it like create this specific kind of look and cinematographers really really like that so my brother is really into cinematography and video, and he really likes using that lens because at different apertures, he can make it do different stuff in different lighting conditions. 
Um, and I mean, I'm sure lots of lenses are capable of that, but these CY lenses for me are super cool because I've noticed that they behave quite differently under different lighting conditions. Like with window light, they're absolutely stunning and gorgeous and sharp and, you know, that kind of perfect kind of lighting. And then at night with artificial light, they, they have a very different look to them. And then in bright daylight, again, they render differently. And I, I don't know. Maybe I'm BSing and on all lenses do that, but but to me the CY lenses are there's something to discover when I play with them and I enjoy it a lot. Yeah, you you've mentioned uh, the 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 28 Distagon uh, 2.8, and yeah. that was something I was I was going to say something uh, about that, and in, 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 especially when I was talking earlier about the uh, Yashica lenses, some of the ML lenses being the same. And yeah. uh, you said something earlier that sort of stopped me in my tracks a little bit, uh, because I was going to talk about the the the, the Yashica ML um, twenty eight two point eight because there's two versions or at least two versions of that lens, and the later version is a different design. It is optically different and it's optically superior. And I've got one of those in front of me at the moment. And I'm looking at, and I've also got a 28 Distagon, an AE uh, Distagon, so the the older design, um, because I was initially going to say, well, I've just had a look at these two lenses next to each other, and it's quite clear that they are not the same lens, because some people suggest that, that they are. Um, but now you've told me that this AE lens is not the same as the MM, so that's completely muddied the waters to me now. Um, because and the, and when I say like they're not the same lens, I'm just looking at the front element design, and the uh, the Yashica has, has got quite a flat uh, front element, whereas uh, there's there's quite a fair bit of curve. Well, there's a lot of curvature on the on the 28. That's that's a point. Have you got your 28 in front of you at the moment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so the so the front element is it is it quite flat or is it curved? Yeah, you know, got a good curve in it. Uh, it's definitely curved. It's extremely. Uh, concave yeah okay well then uh well i think we can put that that rumor to bed uh because um yeah the the yashica is definitely flat and uh, both of the distagons have got a a, a, a con no convex isn't it yeah, you're talking con, about yeah, the con, yeah it's con, right? convex yeah it's convex but it's uh, it's the ultron that's concave and uh most lenses are, are convex and uh yeah the uh it's it's just not the same lens I mean, there's also a big difference in weight as well, but that could be just down to the construction of the lenses. But, uh, but yeah. And I'll bet you the f the focus ring, um, the throw is there. I, I have no idea. I've never tried any of the uh, Yashica ones for CY. But, like, do you have a 28 Distagon in front of you? Yeah, I do, yeah. An AE, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you see what I mean about how the, the focus throw is very, very short from infinity to one meter, and then you get, like, loads of space afterwards? Mm, it's... Uh... Yeah, it's 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 a difficult one on that one because yeah, they can be geared differently anyway. But um, but yeah, it has. I see what you're saying because it, this goes from two meter. Yeah, between two meters of infinity is yeah, which is probably around about eight millimeters of, of travel. Yeah. Um, where on the Yashica, it's it's much more. Although it, it's still it, it's still like the main the main focus throw. Um, adjustment is is in the uh the, the close-up stuff so it, it, it's still working in the same principle okay okay yeah because yeah. it's not the others the other uh zeiss cy lenses don't have 
the same spacing. So it's it's specific to this, or at least some of the wider angle lenses. Well, I've got I've got a twenty five in front of me, uh, which is an A uh, lens. So what one of mine as well? That one is. Uh, so I'd, I've had a twenty eight, but I kept the twenty five simply because I just who wants twenty eight millimeter. Um, <laughs> Um, so uh, 20, I've got the 25 um, and actually that's a point I need, to, I, I need to do a little test with these two because the, the rumour has it that the 25 is actually a 26mm and the 28 is a 27mm in, in true focal length so um, I'll, I'll, I'll oh, that, that doesn't make a difference that's all lenses. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's just a nonsense where people like say, "Oh, I want the twenty-five, or I want the twenty-eight. And if there's only a millimeter difference <laughs> between the two of them, and and it's generally viewed that the the twenty-eight is a is a better performing. Oh, by the way, welcome back, Johnny. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah, and um, it's generally viewed that the the twenty-eight is is a is a superior lens to the 25 but the 25 is the one that people want to go for because it's a 25 but if there's only one millimeter between the two of them then it's a nonsense really isn't it yeah i guess yeah that that's true i guess if it's a choice between the two lenses but yeah yeah, yeah. um i also realized that I'm, i might be full of crap um <laughs> because i've just grabbed like actually give me a second i'm gonna grab another lens just to check something Okay. Okay. So I might be full of crap because I'm realizing that this. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm really dumb. I don't know anything about lenses, guys. Why did you put me on this podcast? <laughs> so, like, the, the, the wide angle SLR lenses have this different focus uh, throw because of the difference in depth of field, primarily, right? Yeah. So, like, your depth of field. Yeah, okay. You know, you know where I'm going with this, right? Yeah. We were just entertaining you, you know. <laughs> it sounded good. Okay. So we'll move swiftly on now, shall we? Yep. <laughs> Moving swiftly on. Yeah. Um, I'm. I'm thinking we've. Have, 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 have we done Carl's eyes to death? Um, or, uh, or should we? Or should we actually put a test to Johnny uh, to uh, ask him? So tell us what we've been talking about for the last half an hour, uh, because we're not entirely convinced you've been there. <laughs> Let's see. I went and finished the laundry and I cleaned the toilet um, and I checked on my latest batch of ginger beer. Uh, so, yeah, you guys have been been really nailing out of the park today. Yeah, it's been great. OK, well, I think in in, in that case, I, I think we should start winding, winding the show down now um, on that on that uh, classic note there. Um, Wait, two things, two things before that. On. Number one, I'm not full of crap. All oh, right. Okay. <laughs> I've I've just grabbed my OM Zoico twenty eight three point five, and it's it's not it's not like that at all. Um, it still has a short throw from infinity to one, but then it's still very short after that. Okay, cool. Secondly, Simon, you haven't told us which ones apart from the fifty one four are your favorites. Uh oh, well, obviously. Because mm. obviously I'm, the Tessar is not one of them, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, that, well that, although it's it's good on the AX, and I. I and that's actually what I plan to do. Um, I'm going to be using uh, the uh, that that 45 Tessar on a, on an AX uh, because I've actually gone and bought an AX. I can't afford to go out and buy an AX, but I bought one um, because I, I'm not sure if I've got buyer's remorse at the moment. It's coming tomorrow, and it's in the post now. Um, so, <laughs> but it's beautiful. It's mint. It's still got the box. Sorry. 
I can't believe you bought an autofocus camera. Well, I haven't. I've bought a manual focus camera that has got an autofocus button. I've, I've, there's, a, there's a couple of things there. Um, I'd actually convinced myself that I don't really like 35mm film anymore. <laughs> so I bought another uh-huh. camera. Um, so that, that makes uh-huh. sense. Um, but... The other part is when I when I used to shoot contacts, I, I had my one five nine. With funnily enough, I'd use that with a a, a motor wind as well. Uh, so it's quite it was quite a bulky camera back in the day, but I used to love the extra grip on it. Um, but I would also be walking around with my original uh, Yashica uh, FX FX thousand. Yeah, I think that's what it was. FX three thousand. That's the FX three one thousand, and one would have color in it and one without black and white in it and i'm thinking to myself well i can do something similar uh, with this if I, I do actually start shooting these again because i'm i mean i've got a roll of uh, fuji 250d from the uh, for the dark room um that uh, brian has uh, has given us um, and anybody that turns up at the uh, six times dark room will get a free roll of uh, fuji uh, 250d uh, which is cine film and it's got remjet on it and we're going to learn how to take the remjet off and stuff like that but it's it's really oh, got me excited me. go on try please teach me when you're please teach me when you're done because i've got a couple of rolls of uh vision t uh cinefilm sitting in my fridge and i don't know what to do with them well from from well my understanding is that it needs to go into very hot water around about 55 degrees and with some sodium carbonate not bicarb but sodium carbonate the stuff you put into caffeinol uh and give it a good shaking um that's that's we haven't done it yet and we're going to experiment with a roll first um just to just to make sure it's not destroying anything uh, but that's that's okay, what yes, we're led to believe is the way please let me know. yeah that's yeah, it well, i've read how to do it but i've never actually tried it because i'm scared well, we, um, well, yeah, no, it's understandable. Well, and we're going to, and we'll process it with uh, it's, it's C41. I think um, is the ECN2. I think is the is the correct way of doing it. But we're going to do C, uh, C41 after getting rid of the remjet. So, um, so that'll cross process it. Uh, well, I, I don't know if it's technically cross processing, but I think you might there might be a bit of a color shift towards the blue. I believe, um, uh-huh. but other than that, it's. Uh, yeah, it seems to be the way that most people seem to do it anyway. Plus, we've got C41 chemicals and not ECN2, so that's what it's going to be. And the film was free. So, um, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so having having access to some uh, weird and wonderful film um, and potentially two cameras that I can shoot different, different types of film and that... That ability to actually, if something is moving, uh, to you know, especially if I'm going to be, I keep saying I don't shoot people, you know, but at some point I might well shoot people, and the AX will be the obvious camera to use because I'll, I can get that. Like I have just the same problem with focusing on eyes as 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 anybody, you know, and that's why I'll take probably take a few shots with the with the Sony just in case you know, one of them's more in focus than another. Um, but if I can literally just get it get it there, or I think it's there, I can press the button and know it's there, then that's a that's a it's a nice thing to have in your back pocket. So uh, not that you can fit a Contax AX even with a, <laughs> even with a pancake Tessar on it in your, in your back you pocket. You can't even fit a Contax T two into your pocket. No, no. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, uh, so I've John- got one on the way. Johnny, you're there. Um, yes. So all of this has Simon. I, I'm convinced that this whole like hoarding contacts thing this week is just your way of compensating for having not shooting Tessars. That was street <laughs> and uh, uh, with a Leica and what was the other one? Whatever. Um, but so it's certainly the case. I, I've. 
because I've got a shitter Tessa, I need a contact AX. That's 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 pretty much what's happened. So thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> so this has driven you. This entire ordeal has driven you to purchasing an autofocus camera. Yeah. Um, which means, Johnny, can we talk about how much it sucks to focus on film SLRs? <laughs> clearly, you know, if it's driving Simon to buy an autofocus camera, we can all agree that rangefinders are better, right? Uh, oh, that's, actually, that's a point. There was a there was a conversation that was going on, wasn't there? Um, about yeah. about how difficult it is to focus these things and rangefinders being easier if your eyesight eyesight is starting to go south a bit. Mm-hmm. Fact. Fact. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, it's is, all about facts today. Yeah. So, is that is that the discussion, or is it is is the more 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 to, is, is is that is is more to it? That's a pretty good summary, actually. It's just better and easier. Well, I mean that. Oh, oh, that's, okay. So, so the whole effect, right, of shooting on a film SLR where it looks like it's in focus, but it's not when you actually look at the film. That's annoying, right? <laughs> And that's totally a thing, right? I'm not. I'm not full of crap here. Right? It's totally a thing. No, I think it's totally. I, you know, I, I've been thinking about this a lot. I think it comes down to focusing screens because. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. I think so too. Yeah, because the, I, I, I realize that the, as as um, as easy as split image focusing screens seem to be on SLRs, I, I think they're to, they're. I think they're very misleading. <laughs> I've after many years of thinking, well. I had that perfectly aligned on my split image focusing screen. And then it's not actually in that to me is kind of the takeaway. And I, I think that screens, the matte screens where um, I, I got to find the proper terminology for the type of screen this is, but it's basically a matte screen with the center dot. And until that center dot is perfectly in focus, everything looks really out of focus. I hate those. Not yeah, but really. I, I, you know what? I used to hate them too, but now I'm like thinking yeah, those are actually the best ones because you can actually tell the critical focus and not the almost critical focus that's really not in focus but on both yeah. sides, front and back of in focus, which is what I think Perry's talking about. You can totally. just kind of, so I, yeah. I know, go on, go on. No, and so I, so I, to me, I'm starting to think cause, because I, I noticed on the, um, that, uh, uh, SLR, I've been shooting the, uh, uh, I'm spacing on the name now. Um, Petri. Petri. Thank you. My pet, the Petri SLR I've been using, it has that screen and it's either, it's, there's not as much wiggle back and forth. It's either kind of in focus or it's not. So, and yeah, and some of the old spot, some of the old uh, Pentaxes have that screen. I'm sure there are plenty of other cameras with that screen, but, um, I, I'm starting to believe that that that's the way to go versus the split screen. The, yeah, the, I have the split micro prism stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I have four SLRs in front of me right now. Um, and my OM, my OM one, which I'm holding right now has a split prism down the middle. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not that easy to focus. Um, same thing with my Nikon FM two. Uh, I, I, don't really trust the split prism here on this one I'm holding. Same with my Contax S2. The one in front of me that I think is the most accurate across the frame is my Spotmatic, which is annoying because I don't like this camera at all. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
But you're right. Like the bits that are out of focus, much like a rangefinder, when they're in focus, they pop. Um, whereas on all the other focusing screens of these cameras in front of me, when it's in focus versus slightly out of focus, it looks the same. Right. Exactly. And and, and I mean that makes a huge difference. Oh, I don't want to use this spotmatic. I don't blame you. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm like just reaching for cameras off the shelf to see if I can find one that's. Uh, okay, I mean you're totally right. This spotmatic is by far the most accurate of all of them. Yeah, with the old, and that's the old style screen. That's yeah, exactly. It's yeah. that old screen where there's no prism. The middle is just a dot, right? And then there's right. Like, there's like a very faint circle around the dot. So yeah, it's and it's it, it's almost like a three D effect, right? Like it actually yeah. looks closer for like it it's it's really out of focus until it's in focus. Yeah, exactly. Like that's what I meant by when it's in yeah. focus, the whole scene pops. Right. Um, similar to like really good rangefinder patches, where when your double image is aligned, like the contrast pops out of the viewfinder. Yeah. Yeah, versus yeah. when it's slightly misaligned, the uh, it, it, you can tell that you're even slightly off. So, Simon, maybe that's why you don't like 35-millimeter film, because your SLRs don't focus properly and you had to buy an autofocus one. <laughs> no, no. The, the con contact screens are great, uh, as far as I'm concerned, at least, anyway. Um, and it's and as I was saying earlier, if you've got a if you're using a fast lens and it's got a decent amount of contrast, then it's 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 not difficult to to focus. But I think when you, one of the things though that if you're an SLR shooter, then you get a little bit obsessed by focus. Um, whereas as a rangefinder shooter, it's it's less important because you're generally shooting stop down anyway. So uh, if those if those windows align, then you've 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 got focus that's it because you're also almost certainly using more depth of field as well but but i'm i'm quite confident in my focusing ability with like you know super fast lenses wide open on my leica like i've i've nailed street shots with my friends noctilux um and i'm of course yeah i miss some as well but it, it's it's confidence inducing whereas with these slrs what i find is when i get to the point where i think i'm in focus yeah, I try to check it by like adjusting it a little bit. Dude, and then exactly. it looks like a little bit more in focus, and I'm like, yeah. oh, fuck. oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Like, oh. <laughs> That's exactly right. They're instead of confidence inducing, they're doubt inducing. <laughs> oh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Wait, is that really in like, focus? <laughs> yeah, and then you're just sitting there like wiggling uh, the the focusing ring back and forth, and not actually taking any pictures. That's me. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Well, uh, shall we? Actually, I completely avoided the question when you asked me about what my favourite lenses were, um, and I've already said the fifty-one point four, and the other one is the eighty-five two point eight Sonar. Um, yeah, I, I want that one. Yeah, I think it's just a it's a stunning lens. Um, I've no idea how it compares to the uh, the one point five one point four planar and. I haven't actually got the two lenses together to, to, to check them because it's uh, just gone in for a little bit of work on the focus ring to make it, uh, it's just a little bit on the stiff side, so I'm having that adjusted. Um, but I, from what I've seen of this 85, 1.5, uh, 1.4, uh, I'd like one. <laughs> there's no there's no two ways about it, even though uh, I've had a go at uh, the fact that nobody ever, well, it's, it's not always a good idea to shoot to the 1.4, but... 
it's going to be that much easier if you are shooting at 2.8 just to nail that focus but the the 85 2.8 is a really easy lens to nail the focus it's also a lot lighter and it's it's at, at 2.8 it's the best 85 lens that i've i've used um this this 85 1.4 might be as good i don't know um but it, it's just wonderful shooting it wide, wide open at 2.8 on that on that particular lens so two special lenses there um yeah dude if you hadn't bought the ax you could pretty much have almost picked up a 1.4 no 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 <laughs> No, um, I could I could buy two AXs if not more for the price of a uh, the what I paid at least for the uh, for a, a good eighty five one point four, especially an MM uh, because I'd want an MM. So wait, how how much do they go for in your neck of the woods? Um, I've not looked for a while. Um, I, I'm guessing around about four hundred plus. Pounds, okay, that is. yeah, around around four hundred pounds sounds yeah. about right. Yeah, yeah, so that's. Uh, that's well, how cheap did you get your AX for? Well, I, it's, I don't think I got it that that cheap, but it, it's it's cost me two hundred pounds. But it's it's unused, so I think it's about as good as it's going to get. Um, whether it still works with it not being used uh, for the last twenty years is is another matter. But um, I'll give I'll give it a go and, and check it over. But it's it's as good an AX as as potentially I could possibly get. So you can pick them up for less than that. Although some people some are going for more than that as well. Yeah, so. here they're like the same price as an eighty five one four. That's why. Right. So how much is an eighty five one four where you are? Yeah, around like you can find them for just under. 400 pounds maybe like oh okay so the ax so it's the axs are expensive over there relatively speaking yeah. to what they are over here i, 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 I yeah, got they're, it quite, they're quite scarce yeah yeah no, that's, that's 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 fair enough so i know i know where uh, i know where to sell my ax if i decided i don't want to keep it anymore <laughs> that's good news <laughs> but uh, if you'd if you'd said like it was a two i could get a, a an 85 1.4 for, for 200 pounds and that might be a different story um but no alas no okay um, shall we shall we start to bring bring the show to? But it's a bit of a marathon now. I think we were well over two hours, yeah. so I, I think these poor people have have got work and jobs to do and things like that. So should we should we start winding down? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll quickly do um, coffee news. Um, we've been supported by a few people this week, so thank you very much. And uh, in particular. Uh, Nigel Cliff has left a, a comment saying, I uh, can't think of anything deep and meaningful or sarcastic to say. Uh, so uh, thanks for another cracking show. Well, thank, thank you, Nigel. Um, Brian Woolworth has uh, supported us again. That's a, that's a recurring donation there. So thank you, Brian. And just in today, while we've actually been online, Christoph Siegelin um says uh, a big thank you uh, for the most entertaining chicago weather forecast out there johnny <laughs> what's the weather like in chicago oh god i thought i got away with it this time <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's horrible i hate this weather so much i i can't stand it. it's like let me just pull up the weather uh what it says it's gonna do this week it's gonna be like 90 degrees and humid all week long which is the absolute yeah. worst weather for me i can't stand it um what is that right? not america i uh hold on a second i'll switch it to <laughs> celsius uh wait let me i know how to do this wait a second uh let's see somewhere in here is the thing that 32. says 32 okay yeah there you go um 
it, it is yeah it's 83 and humid right now and it's it uppers upper 80s and lower 90s or to upper 90s all week long uh, <laughs> so uh yeah no air conditioning at central camera so please be nice to me this week or i'm gonna get surly on you um and so what happens is we there's a hurricane down in the gulf so you know uh new orleans i guess barely escaped a, a really uh, potentially bad event down there. So what happens is that hurricanes in the Gulf, they, they, you know, they hit the Southern Gulf and then they sort of like push their way up through the South to up towards Chicago, up the, you know, Mississippi river. Um, and so all that heat and humidity coming from the Gulf of Mexico ends up, you know, right over Chicago a couple of days later. So we'll have that effect for the next week or so here. And I'm just not going to be happy. Yeah. Well, thanks for the forecast there and uh, keeping Christoph happy. Um, <laughs> have you got any shout outs this week, Johnny? I do. This is usually where I space out about shout outs. But as I told Sam from Michigan, please write down Sam from Michigan on a business card and I'll put it in my pocket and I'll mention on the podcast that I met Sam from Michigan this week <laughs> at Central Camera Company. And thank you for listening to the podcast and thank you for stopping in to say hello. Excellent. And how about you, yes, Perry? Uh, I do not have any shout outs this week. Okay. Well, we, we did have a f- couple of emails, which we, we're going to have to park those for, for another week, um, including one that I didn't do last week either. So, uh, so that one will, uh, there's, there's one about adapters, which uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in the future show. Um, so that's it then. So Perry, um, how can people, uh, keep up with what you're doing uh, at perryge.com or perryge on Instagram and Flickr. Okay, and Johnny? Uh, I am System Photography on Instagram, um, and you can also catch up with me at Central Camera Company in Chicago every day of the week except for Sunday and Monday, uh, and I will be happy to speak with you there. Okay, and. What if people want to do anything on Instagram in classic lens related? Any, uh, any thoughts should, on that? Yeah, they should go to Best Vintage Lens on Instagram. They are Instagram partner. So go to Best Vintage Lens on Instagram. Um, and you can also send us an email at uh, classiclensespodcast at gmail.com. And of course, classiclensespodcast.com is where you will find this podcast. It is. And uh, the show notes are there as well. Absolutely. Um, and we've got our, our Facebook group as well, the uh, Classic Lenses Podcast Facebook group, which is almost the same but different <laughs> from the uh, <laughs> cla- cla- um, Photography with Classic Lenses group. And just to just to clarify what the difference is, because there, there is a little bit of understandable confusion. Um, the podcast, uh, the Facebook group for the podcast is just about things that are related to the podcast. And that's where we, we put things uh, which are specifically podcast related. So if, and it's, just this, this feeling that uh, we were wagging the it was like the the, the dog wagging the tail of uh, photography with classic lenses where you know we, we'd want to put some information out about the podcast which wasn't which 
is going to be of limited interest, should we say, to the, to the to the group as a whole. And ultimately, we have a louder voice uh, than, than most users in there. So it just just felt a little bit disproportionate. So um, a little bit self-indulgent. Whereas uh, doing it in our own group, it's a case of well, people know why we're doing it, and uh, they they choose to go there because they want to know things about the podcast or they want to interact with us. Was that a, a great way to actually um, right. have a conversation with us? And we're we're more comfortable to have it there than take up space and keep on appearing at the top of uh, photography with classic lenses so uh, so that's what that's all about um any more um i can say something about next week uh because we have a guest uh next week uh, we have isabel Grades, and uh, and i just realized i'm not quite said her name right and i've been practicing it so i'm sorry isabel who's probably going to listen to this podcast i'll try and do it better next week um but uh, isabel is a is an artist and uh, interestingly she's she's been well over the years she's been exploring different forms of uh, photography um uh, largely in film but with digital as well and she's very recently announced that she's pretty much sold all her um, film related gear but she's still using old lenses so we're going to have a, a chat to Isabel uh, next week about uh, that artistic decision why you know, why why do that uh, why not just keep some things and just you know it's almost like baby with the bathwater kind of stuff so uh, it's going to be interesting to see how, how a recognised artist would make such a pretty drastic uh, decision um, but ultimately um, did the right thing and is going to continue to use old lenses so um, looking forward to, to that chat um, so that's that's it um, thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for our uh, theme music is Octo Blues. I've just realised I've not said anything about where you can listen to me or, or catch up with me, which is on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic, on Twitter as Simon Four. I also do a fortnightly podcast with Andrew Bartram called the Large Format Photography Podcast. If that's something that might float your boat, um, have a listen to that. Um, and that's it. So I hope you've enjoyed uh, this week's show. And if you can, be like Carl. <laughs> <laughs>